welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is right here, actually. Hey, Maddie, how you doing? We're, we're talking about board games now? I think we're going to be talking about some board games. This is round seven, turn eight. But my uh, my co-host is not Maddie. Maddie. Maddie is the guy that just sort of jumped in the backseat of the car. I got the Wait a minute. This is a, this is a board game podcast? This is a board game <laughs> podcast. This is what we do. We have continued a- to do this while you have... I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing... Wait, have, this is Game Brain? We you have guys still do this? continued to do this week this in and week Well, almost week in and week out. We did miss last week, but we are still crazy. going. I it, forgot about this years ago. Jeez. I know, right? You're, you're, you're four podcasts further down the line than us. Um, <laughs> this is round seven. This is turn eight, and I've got the analytical gamer with me as my co-host. Hey, Jesse, how are you today? Hey guys, how are hey, you? Yes, Doing good, sir. Doing good. How can I? How could we be with this threesome? How could I be bad? How could I be it's pretty bad? good? This is this is pretty good. This is the greatest threesome. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is. <laughs> um, this would be. I, it's nice to be here and talking board games. I vaguely remember what a board game is, um, but. I'm here on this podcast today because we're talking about the first board game since the quarantine to completely become an obsession for me. Oh, so I'm very excited for that. Same here. We are going to be talking about the newest, hottest 2020 release, Imperial Struggle by Ananda Gupta and Jason Matthews. If you've heard those names before, it's because we rant about them all the time. They are the creators of Twilight Struggle, which is we have not gotten to on our Game Brain top 50 list. Maybe it's because it is yet to come and it's pretty high up there. Um, we're going also going to be looking at weight today. Uh, what do we mean when we weigh a game? And often we mean several different things. How do we negotiate and navigate game weight when playing with different groups of people that we play with? Um, yeah, so how are you guys doing? I haven't, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to you offline. I haven't talked to you online in, in, in a little bit. How are things with quarantine and so on and so forth? Just living the dream. Yeah, <laughs> doing good. Yeah, is this- I'm not living any dreams. This is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've just been coding a lot. That's what I do every day right. um, until my computer crashed out. My logic board failed me, so I went and got. I, I'm finally jumping back into the PC world because I've had an iMac, an amazing iMac, for an several iMac? years. I did. I did. Like from, I had, like, from like 2003? It was, it was 2014. You know, like all the hardcore coders line. use. Like one of those like... <laughs> no, no, exactly not like that. Like see-through and like coral colored? <laughs> no, 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 those are amazing though. <laughs> uh, no, it was amazing, but it's finally sort of pooping out on me. So I'm getting a, I'm getting a whole PC set up. Okay. So we can finally play some PC games together. Ooh, well that's fun. I, I, like, I like my PC games, or I did four months ago when I played them. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, look, man, this sucks. This is, this is a garbage timeline we're in. Yeah. Um, I have uh, a lot of friends who've been sick. Luckily I haven't had anybody die, but I've had a few people come close. It's been not fun. Um, my whole family has been healthy, so I have very little complaint about in that department, but yeah, man, it feels like child abuse at this point, keeping my children locked in the house. I had plans for months to go, uh, 
stay with another family and on the beach at their house for three days. It was the only vacation I was going to take all year long. And I canceled it this week because I just didn't feel it was responsible. And uh, yeah, it just sucks. It sucks. I feel I feel like a bad dad every day I wake up and my son looks at me like, "Can we go to the park?" and I'm like, "No. You're going to watch you're going to watch Sesame Street and then go to sleep." And you're going to do that probably until like February of 2021. Yeah. It sucks. Well, we are yeah. we are three of the we are three of j- almost the only ones in our in our game group that have kids. So we are all navigating oh, yeah. a world in a slightly different way. I mean Jennifer Jennifer has kids, but other than, We all have two kids. Too. We all have two kids as a matter of mm-hmm. fact. It's true. Uh I will tell you that uh I would I would love to have a 2-year-old that wants to go to the no, park. Yeah. I've got totally. uh, yeah, I've got two teenagers that are just bouncing off the walls and Oh yeah. No, I feel oh, yeah. I feel very lucky compared to both of you for have my children don't know what's happening and I still feel awful that they can't do anything. I can only imagine when it's like to have children who have the, the cognizant abilities to understand this nightmare. But my kids think of this as summer camp. Oh, that's um, nice. That's a great I attitude. I keep them stimulated. Like, like uh, they're learning. Even in the summertime, I have them doing, like, you know, online classes or learning French or something during the day. Mm. And, you know, they'll, they'll maybe play some video games in the late afternoon. And I don't know, man. They're happy as clams. I, wow, I, that's great. Well, well done. That's awesome. My, my daughter is a very social person. Um, so for her, it's particularly difficult. She's having a, a hard time not being able to get together with people and she's getting, she gets very stir crazy and very, and very quickly. My son is much more like, this is pretty great. This is you know, more, more like what Jesse is talking about, except that he's going into his senior year of high yeah. school. Jeez. Can't and imagine that. What the, and you know, all the the playbook that I've been operating on for the 17 years of his life has been all right, you know, and and then you're going to be applying to colleges, and we're going to do. And now I'm like, what? What even is there? What what is this system? What is going to happen? I mean, thankfully, he's at least one year away from the people that just graduated are really in a horrible situation. I have a, I have two cousins that were that got into colleges that don't know if they're going right now that, you know, and they're supposed to, the school's supposed to start in four weeks. They have, they still don't know if they're going to school. There are, and there are a bunch of colleges that are saying, Hey, we're going to be doing it online. By the way, we are not refunding any money. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, imagine paying 60 grand to take computer classes while living with your parents. It is going to be insane. I don't. I don't know what's. I don't know what's going to happen. People have been talking for a long time about is is college over? Is is it a, is it an over? Is it an outdated concept that needs some amount of redefinition? And I have always always fought against that. I have always said that. Yeah. I think that that college is a crucial crucial thing in this age when we need to not only know so many different things but we need to be able to interact with so many different people in in different corners of the world the world has become very very small and being able to explore a whole bunch of different things and broaden your worldview um is is a crucial crucial thing but given yeah, everything that's happening right university now. Ed, university education is wildly important, but you shouldn't have to become an indentured servant to a loan company for the rest of your life to get it. 100%. 100%. All right, well, guys, let's get... Ooh, this is supposed to be a board game podcast, so let's 
get to the board gaming. How about uh, what are we reviewing? Oh, we, you said what we're reviewing. Today. Yeah, I said I said we're reviewing Imperial Struggle. Well, we have been welcome back, Matt. All That's three right. of us have been completely and utterly obsessed. The we haven't played it tons of times, but we played it enough, and more than that, we are. I'm haven't seen so many emails and texts back and forth about oh dude did you check out this rule or hey yeah. did you notice how this Paul thing is, is also equally obsessed we've been playing together i'm so he glad is, i'm so glad Paul he is, is he is wildly obsessed with it like he's oh, like cool. we, we have a we have a problem my my son <laughs> my son is is getting crazy into it i, I think i mentioned oh before you're so that, lucky to have an in-person player for this tom oh it's crazy yeah. good it's crazy good he yeah I, I told you he's a big twilight twilight struggle guy so so once i started showing him what this is and how it's different he was just like holy cow this is amazing he's also a huge history buff so it's just yeah. awesome I-, I even got alex to play with me is that right what? yeah i know dude I think it's because she's french and you know there's a french side so she has something to kind of you know she has her in huh she can larp it <laughs> yeah That's- i well this is shocking but i got myself to play it with me did you really? Oh, so maybe yeah, you finally won myself awesome. to play the other side, and I, then, and then, but then I also played the other side. Also, it was really fun. So, so basically, whenever you go over to the other seat, you just smash your head into the uh, uh-huh. into the desk, so you forget everything you just saw. That's I do like five shots every time I switch, <laughs> and then I'm so drunk that I forget what I just did. It's really great. The Imperial <laughs> Struggle drinking solo game. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, we're we're already kind of we're already t- kind of talking about it. Let's talk about this week's game nights. Let me just start by saying, Alfred, you have threatened to start remixing or redoing some of these uh, the, these songs. Get on it, man! What are you doing? What are you doing? Bring it! I mean, I would love to. Man. I love this, but I would love to have a little uh, a little variety in in what we got uh, on deck as well. Uh, for me, for game night, it's been pretty simple. Uh, I've, we've been playing a bunch of Teach You at the house, a little bit of Ricochet Robots, and then all the rest of my hours and time have been dedicated to Imperial Struggle. I am completely and utterly obsessed. What about you guys? Uh, yeah, Imperial Struggle, um, The Crew, a little bit of The Mind, Watergate. Um, nice. You know, I, I have not, in the last few months, uh, I have not done a lot of online gaming, so I'm really glad you introduced me to Vassal. Um, it's crazy I, good, I, isn't it? I like Vassal's it. Yeah. great. That was a good experience, actually, playing the game on there. I, yes, have been playing mostly Imperial Struggle this week, but I actually had my first, uh, because I knew I was doing this, I thought I'd try to have a real game night. So I, my wife and I actually played a board game for the first time in four months, and Rachel and I played Pan Am. Jesse, you said I made the wrong choice in choosing Pan Am. Have you? Did you play Pan Am and not like it? Um, no, I, I, I think I played it once. I, she just looked very uncomfortable. She looked like she when was do you, not enjoying it. It just came out about a week <laughs> ago, so I don't think you've played it unless you played no, it. No, okay. Yeah, I, I, it's okay. a brand new game. Um, no, no, I was I was judging it purely on her expression. Oh, I see, I see. No, she actually enjoyed it. So look, she, I mean, she, she always says to me, it's like borderline abusive to ask 
a mom of two young children during a quarantine to use their brain after 8 p.m. But I read uh, that on her face. It's fair. Yeah, she was very kind, and and she and she genuinely enjoyed it. She would she would be honest if she didn't. But she she actually re- we had fun. I, I like Pan Am. Tom, have you played it yet? I have not. I have not played it yet. I don't. Uh, you know, uh, Trey bought all of the Prospero Hall games yeah. uh, recently, and what usually happens is he buys them, yeah, and then suddenly them. they end up in yeah. my collection. So well, it's a it's a thirty dollar target game target exclusive for a while and then other people get it um and it is it is competitive pandemic that's just straight up what it is it's it's if you took pandemic and said it is not at all a cooperative game and instead a pretty cutthroat competitive game um and i think they did a really good job with it It, it's a little too swingy i think for Mm -hmm. our group um, there are two elements to it that I think a table full of equally strong players, it would come down to some card draw and some dice rolls. Um, now, when you say but, pandemic, do you mean it in the sense that there are passengers piling up in various places and you have no, to... No, so it, it's pandemic in two ways. That The, the, the theme is actually kind of cool. It's um, You are a rival company to Pan Am. Um, but you know you are not going to win. That Pan Am is going to conquer the world. Your goal go is to build. No, no. Your goal is to build uh, uh, flight routes that Pan Am is going to want to buy and then uh-huh. sell them to Pan Am. That's so it, it's an, actually an interesting comment on capitalism of, of like you will lose to the mega corporation, and your best dream in life is that they buy you out at the right point, so that so that <laughs> then you can spend your money buying stock in Pan Am. The game is decided by whoever has the most stock in Pan Am, and that's it. That's what a, the entire... What a wonderful uh, commentary on capitalism. Condition. Because at, it is. It, it, it totally is. Because at the end of the day, everyone who bought that stock, it would eventually itself become worthless when Pan Am goes yeah, out of business. Eventually. That's yeah. fantastic. In 1993 or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Pan Am is expanding like a pandemic virus. And uh-huh. your goal is to hedge your bets and try to be in the line of that growth where you build your, where you build your routes at the same time though, it literally takes the pandemic, uh, uh, a mechanism of when, in order to take a location, you either have to have the exact city card or any, or you can discard a card to be wild for that region or any two cards can be that city. So it's literally like the same mechanics as pandemic in terms of like, you know, traveling to places and discarding cards and things. Well, that is, uh, the, that's the Prospero Hall way, right? They, the uh, Prospero Hall, yeah. they're, they're not innovators. They take mechanics that they've seen work very well in other places. They mix them up in interesting ways though. So they're not just ripping things off, right? I mean, the, the, the hidden movement aspect in Jaws is wonderfully re, you know, reappropriated for that game. So yeah. that's great. Right. And, and and it's also a worker placement bidding game. So much like in the um, bidding for families at the beginning of the Marco, uh, sorry, the beginning of um, uh, what what is the uh, geez, uh, Lorenzo, the Lorenzo expansion. Yes, you, it's worker placement. But if somebody bids on a higher value worker placement spot, your worker comes back to you and you have to place it again. Um, and so it, it takes a lot of like mechanisms that I really like. And it's, it's definitely my favorite Prospero Hall game um, I, because I don't like cooperative games. And so it's, it's their first competitive game I've played of theirs. And I actually think it's pretty great. Um, like I said, a little too swingy for very strategic minded players. Um, 
but I don't think I'd turn it down. And I think with three or four, it actually, I think, I think, I think we would all enjoy it. I just think it's not like going to become, you know, a staple, but I, I think it's, I think it's a good game. I think it's worth 30 bucks at target for sure. Cool. Oh. That sounds great. I know that some of the rest of us have been playing a bunch of... Yeah, Jennifer uh, loves it. Jennifer loves it. Yep, she loves it. Uh, a bunch of us have also been playing... Um, what's the what's the game that they were playing? I can't remember now. Ah, blanking on it. I will say that Ben has the... Oh, Year of the Dragon? Is yes, that what Year of the Dragon. That's what it is. Yeah. Yes. Playing a lot of Year of the Dragon, and I know that Ben... Early is, Steffenfeld. Yep. Ben is getting completely obsessed with uh, 18xx now to the point that... Uh, he jumped on our 1822 bandwagon, and uh, yeah, I told him to, to let him to contact you about that. Yep, 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 yep. So he's he's doing what we all did at, when we first fell in love with 18xx, which is to get 18xx fever and buy every in-print 18xx game because you realize if you don't buy them now, you're going to pay $400 on eBay for them in six months. Wait, uh, before a yeah, right? You can't get 1822. Right. You, right. We, are, we are in the pool to get it when it is released. If you wanted to find another copy, uh, the last time I looked, you couldn't. You literally couldn't. It's not even that you had to pay 500 yeah. bucks. You literally couldn't find another copy of it. So yeah. uh, that, is, that, that is one of the perils of the 18xx world. Uh, the other being you're going to own a ton of games that you're going to have a very hard time getting to the table. But yeah. <laughs> You'll maybe play them each twice before you die if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still have yet to play an 18xx game. We keep talking seriously. Gonna, which one? Maybe. Which one? Really? I don't think that's true. I, I know you'd assume, but I I wow. never brought it out when I've been that's there. Shocking. Okay. Interesting. Well, listen, you are a prime candidate for 18xx. It fits. It it checks a lot of Jesse boxes. So yeah. I, I think we got to we got to get that happening the moment we're back to face to face gaming. Um, shall we get right to the news, gentlemen? Let's do it. Do it. First up in game news, we have a game coming up from Stonemeyer Games. It is called Pendulum. Pendulum is designed by a gentleman named Travis P. Jones. The art is going to be by Robert uh, Lisek. I believe is how you pronounce that name. Uh, it is a one-to-five-player, competitive, turnless, asymmetric worker placement game and time what, optimization. What, what? So check this out. Back in 2017, Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games puts together these uh, prototype days where people come and, and everybody plays the prototype and they fill out a little uh, sheet. It's like afterwards. a design jam. Yeah, it's a design jam. It had the highest rating of any prototype in ever. history that they've ever, ever done. So people cool. absolutely loved it and it's about to come out. They are still, they're being very uh, sneaky about uh, about telling us things about it. I think that I think that's a pretty good strategy, though. You know, it's like they show you a little trailer. They've given they give you a little, little bit. They've given you a little bit. Like, I feel like I much. understand I mean, the basic mechanics. What I liked, what I found out that, that I didn't see a lot of other places is that the timers, there are different timers in the game. Yeah, they, there is 30 a, second, one minute, two minute, three minute. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which reminds me, I, I, there was a game called Space Dealer. Back in 2006, and it was very interesting in that sense too. That that it was turnless. You could take you could take whatever action you want to take, but each action had a time cost, and you had to wait until that was up. Now, to, in in perfect honesty, that caused some problems as well because it 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 was very messy deciding when you had to flip this over or flip that over, and the 
the action of waiting for something is never a fun. That there's there's no fun in that. However, well, I guess if you can think about something, if you still you know strategize during that time, maybe it's okay. Yeah, 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 and and it does. It it creates that it, there's a time pressure is a very powerful thing in a game, right? I mean, if you think of uh, of other games like Space Alert, right? Time is a the, the whole game is timed. Uh, if you think of Captain Sonar, it's a race against in real time against the other team as as we're going. Uh, for some people, that's amazing. I love it. I love it. Trey, it's, inter- it's definitely interesting to it. use time as a resource. Yes, you were about to say Trey is going. This is his nightmare game. Yes, yes. He, uh, he yeah. It, it's not fun for him. It is not fun. Yeah. It feels like he has dr- nightmares. Of of running out of time and not having a you know and not being able to to to, to, to do this and and so this is just a nightmare for him it truly is, but uh, the art looks good and hey uh, you know this could be really great while we're on the subject of Stonemaier games let's also point out that uh, Viticulture has gone digital it is on iOS and Android any of you guys played it yet? But yeah, tell them it doesn't have the thing that makes the game worth playing. It it's the it's base viticulture. It isn't yeah. Tuscany. It isn't the it isn't the better. It isn't the good. No, no disrespect, but I don't want to play base viticulture. Do you? Nope. No. You know I don't think I don't actually don't like base viticulture. I really like viticulture with Tuscany, but I don't like base viticulture. I think it's not a fun game for me. Do you want to know? I can't say that I don't like base viticulture because I have never played base viticulture. I've, I've I, I played it, it once. Uh, it was, it's just like it made me go like. Well, but this is just not the game. Yeah, I, <laughs> I watched it being game. played once, and I was like, "Oh no, that's not what I'm here for." Has there at ever all. been a game that has an expansion that, without it, just isn't the game? I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it is odd. Um, but but it brings up a question: How many people out there, when you they hear viticulture, play base viticulture, and how many people play the game that we're familiar with? Right, because they're yeah. quite different. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm I don't not know. Sure the, which the, one the I base played, is such actually. a huge hit. You, I think you've probably only played it with Tuscany, Jesse. Yeah, wow. totally. I don't like the way you said that. The 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 expansion is <laughs> such a such a huge seller for them that I feel like they know that most people like it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, the app doesn't have it, so there you go. Yep. Yep. We shall see. If the app had it, instant purchase. Without it, I. I the only reason that I'm considering purchasing it is so that it incentivizes them to put the expansion in. <laughs> um, on Kickstarter news, we have a, a game by Mind, Mind Clash Games, the makers of Anachrony, etc., etc., etc. Perseverance, Castaway Chronicles. Maddie, I know that you have backed it. Uh, it's got... it. I, did, I backed it without knowing one thing about it other than the name. Why? Why do you do there this? Is, why do you do because this? Because there is no because they, they they get instant backs from me because they make they, they like there is no company on earth that designs games as specifically just for me as Minecraft. <laughs> All right, Jesse, what company is an instant back for you? Is there a company out there, or a, or even a designer? Is there a designer or a company out there that the moment they say that they have a new game, you will, and they say, "I'm sorry, but you're going to have to pay us the money, and then we'll tell you things about the game. We're not going to tell you anything ahead of time." Is there anybody out there in the world that you do that for? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'll play anything by Namagupta, yep. uh, the the Lorenzo team, Barrage team, you know. Yep. Uh, groups yeah. Groups like that. Um, but they've had duds. They've had duds. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't still do it. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Italians. Yeah. I'm, the, uh, the Italians. I'm not. An, I'm not an instant buy on. I, I, v- I'm, I'm close. Pretty close. Vitol's pretty close. But but I'm also you know kind of got a little bit of a a Vitol burnout at this point now. Uh, for me, splatter. No, oh yeah, no okay. question. There no you. question that's about it. That's one. that's yeah. my. I'll that's... buy anything from splatter just because even if I don't like it, I, I know <laughs> I will have a very easy time uh, moving it. Yeah, I've, I've, I can't. I don't think I've ever not liked a splatter game. I literally. I just think... let me pitch perseverance to you. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Perseverance is two games in one. Literally two different games designed to be played as a campaign or as separate games, but it is not (laughs) legacy. The game is basically think of like if you bought, so there's season one and season two or story one and story two. I forget the word Mm -hmm. they actually use part one or part two. And so it's you crash land, like you're trying to escape earth because earth is dying and you crash land on a strange planet and it's overrun with dinosaurs. And the first game is we just have to survive this 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 place, right? It's a competitive mm-hmm. game, though, because the people who crashed on this planet all have different ideologies and ideas of how the government should be run and set things up, right? But but you don't even have time to really think about that. It's just about survive. And your goal is to survive so that hopefully your ideologies and ways you want to build the world will win. Then the second game is we have survived this planet. Now we must uh, we must build a civilization. Mm. on the planet um completely it uses similar mechanics but it's a completely new game completely different game that you can connect wherein certain things will pass on from the first game but you don't have to you could also just decide you're playing that game and hopefully the goal being that both of them were designed to be equally interesting and good so you gen like the point is we wanted you to feel like you genuinely bought two different games that you love but they can be connected to create an awesome epic experience. And they're both very heavy Euro competitive hmm. games. That's interesting. That sounds actually really cool. That, yeah. Did you ever did you ever try the other Gloomhaven, the where you build the town or something? I never Yeah, yeah. I, I liked um Founders of Gloomhaven. I just yeah. thought it was um a little it just wasn't I, I enjoyed it. It's a game I actually would still play if somebody brought it out. I just didn't love it enough for it to be worth its complication and time that it takes to play. Probably I'd rather play something else at that weight. And, yeah. and it is to me a, a lesser version of an amazing splatter game. Uh, the great Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe yeah. 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 So, yeah. uh, yeah. So uh, listen, perseverance. I, I love mind clash. I do. Um, I, and I love the 150 idea. 150 bucks, Tom, 150 bucks, but this is what I'm saying. It's it, 75 bucks for two times two because you're getting two games look i need uh, i'm not you can't justify the price it you can only justify it if you can afford it and it sounds good to you um but i'm I'm gonna wait personally i'm all in i'm gonna wait personally that said it is well you're not gonna wait because you know you have a very good friend who bought one (laughs) so you're gonna be fine okay no but but you know what i mean by that i mean that if i like it i'm not just gonna i'm not gonna be beholden to you I'm not gonna, you know, drive 20 minutes to get it. I'm going oh, to, I'm, I'm gonna get my own copy. I, I, I'm perfectly willing to to buy it uh, in in retail and be able to go and support an actual physical store if those exist next year. Right. Yeah. And there is a hundred dollar standard edition that is exactly the same content, just without the beautiful box and storage and minis. So if you don't care about dinosaur minis, which I, I don't really care about them, but I love the company and I'll drop another 50 bucks for the beautiful 
beautiful box. Um, but yeah, for hundred for ninety five bucks plus shipping, you can get the same games also at fifty bucks each. So yeah. maybe that's worth it. Also in uh, Kickstarter news, there is a uh, game that is uh, shooting up the charts there called Escape the Night Board Game by Joey Gracifa. Do you guys know the name Joey Gracifa? Do you know the name Escape the Night? I know neither of those things. Good, yep. good. I didn't either. So, <laughs> so I am here. Now, some of the listeners out there are like, what? How do you not know? Uh, so I'm looking here, and I'm seeing this game on Kickstarter that's just going bananas. The, the pledge goal was $30,000, and it's already up to $273 thousand dollars and i'm looking at escape the night and it's like oh it's it's kind of a darkly look it's a dark looking clue type board and then i'm reading about it and it's like roll two dice and move that many spaces i'm like oh what the who is bidding two hundred and seventy three thousand dollars for a roll and move game and then i find out that well it's really not quite that joey gracifa is a youtube vlogger star he's got three active youtube channels uh he was on the amazing race twice i think something like that so he's a he's a reality star basically is is what he is and one of his shows one of his youtube shows is called escape the night and they sort of do a murder mystery live sort of thing so this is that's what this is so um we're we're just going to say that for people that are you know take a look at it See what you see, what you think. But if you're seeing a whole bunch of uh, of pledges going towards something, yeah, don't don't just jump on this. This is this is uh, my take on it. Is this is a vanity project? This is right. and, and hey, if you love Escape the Night and you, and you love Joey, then then go for it. But I don't think that this in any way, shape, or form is going to deliver what we're what we're looking for when we talk about uh, uh, when we talk about games on this podcast. So a little little something for you. Uh, next up, Dead Reckoning. We've uh, been, uh, it's been announced that John D. Clare, John D. Clare did Mystic Veil, vale, which was a really groundbreaking uh, game uh, way back when. He also did uh, Space Cadets back in the day. We've, uh, we've been, Trey and I, I think Trey knows him fairly well because Trey and I met with him and spent a bit of time with him at BGG Con. Uh, very good designer, very good guy. Uh, Eno Tool is doing the artwork, and that should always uh, prick up our ears and Alderac Entertainment is publishing it. This is Card Drafting meets 4X and it's set in the world of pirates. Now, if you guys have been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you know that <laughs> I love pirate games, but I've never found a great one. I have, I'm still waiting for a great pirate game. I've played okay pirate games. I've played good pirate games. I've never played. You would enjoy game. you would enjoy Forgotten Waters, but not as a board game, as a fun LARP. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm I've, Agreed. Uh, the 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 people who told me their experience playing Forgotten Waters said uh, said something similar. Trey? I I believe they Just said. Trey didn't like it. I, well, I, but Paul didn't. Paul didn't have the best things in the world to say about it either. But you know, it, but definitely in, in terms of a LARP experience, they said that mm-hmm. I would I would go to town and have a great time with it. So. Um, Dead Reckoning, listen, if you can combine a good card drafting mechanism with 4X, uh, that, that and, and people that don't know 4X, it's uh, Explore, Expand, Exterminate, and what's the other one? Um, uh, exploit. Exploit and Exterminate, that's right, that's what it is. Those are, those, those are the 4Xs. Exploit, exploit's the problematic part. 
it it is there's there's you know there, there's a bunch problematic with with 4x when we when we really think about it but the experience of playing 4x uh, is sort of one of those grail things that everybody is always looking for. It's one of those things that games before the Euro Games Revolution, a lot of them were 4X, and people wax, uh, you know, they're they're very uh, passionate about those experiences that they had, sure. and that modern games can't really do that. So, anyway, we we don't have a, a ton on it yet, but Dead Reckoning <laughs> is a game that is very much on our radar. Uh, next up, uh, Czech Games is coming out with a game called Lost Runes of Arnak. Um, they're saying that it's it was in the pipeline to be an Essen release. Now, there is no Essen, but they're still looking at an Essen-type release, which means that we might be able to see it in you know November, December. I'm hoping uh, we at least get Essen pre-orders, you know? Uh, well, yeah, but uh, the problem, of course, is that everything that was geared for Essen um, it joined a queue that the, yeah, national, that. the international uh, supply chain has been yeah. slowed down. So I'm, no, it's like I've it's like I've been saying for a while. Any Kickstarters you back during this, you're gonna be waiting a while for those. Couple of years probably. Yep, yep. But we'll see. We'll see. Oh, I got something interesting this week. I forgot to mention. I got uh, the my Fiasco big box, Tom. Ooh, you know, you're a fan of Fiasco. I'm a huge fan uh, of Fiasco. This is a not. I won't say a board game version of Fiasco, but it is a a version of Fiasco that involves nobody reading the Fiasco book or preparing or anything, and it's a game of Fiasco that should give you the, the designers say even a better version of Fiasco, where all you need is a, a couple decks of cards, and um, it sort of creates a whole sort of RPG experience for you for <laughs> you know that you can do in a couple hours. So uh, yeah, Fiasco for those who don't know is a an indie RPG. When we did a, an RPG episode last year, uh, we we talked about it at length. I think it was my favorite. Mm. Uh, Jason Morningstar is the designer. Uh, the only thing I will say about that is that there is another system that is Fiasco like, and that's by a friend of the pod, Jim Pinto. Uh, he did. Uh, a system that was card based as opposed to dice based. So, in this uh, in, in this iteration, the, the the box set version of Fiasco seems to be moving toward uh, toward Jim Pinto's. Uh, What's Jim Pinto's game. game called? Uh, Protocol was. Protocol, he's okay. actually got a, a. He's actually has a couple games that are based on the same design. Praxis is the other one. Protocol and Praxis. I think Praxis is the newer one, and it's even better. But uh, it's pretty great. Well, we could maybe get a fiasco game going because they have a whole implementation of roll, on Roll Twenty that makes it very easy for everybody to play. Could be I would, fun. I would love to do that. I think that's a great let's idea. Let's 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 do some virtual RPG. Roll Twenty is sort of vassal for RPGs. All right, Matt, I got a question for you. Uh, there's a new Chip Theory expansion coming out called Haplomachus Victorum. Is it an expansion or is no? It is a, a a reboot of their first game they ever made, I believe. Yes. My question for you is, what the hell is Hoplomachus? So Hoplomachus is their uh, Roman gladiator coliseum skirmish game. Okay. Um, it was their first game they ever made. Uh, and it was Ricky Royal, friend of the show, uh, and one of mm-hmm. my favorite uh, solo streamers ever. Uh, he called it his favorite game of all time. Wow. Um and that genuinely put Chip Theory on the map. And uh, it was then with too many bones that they, you know, sort of blew up. But Hoplomachus is, 
you know, fantasy chess, right? It's it's the it's on a it's it still uses chips as people. That's their sort of thing um, on a you know mouse pad material mat, and it's you know sort of hex based, moving around, attacking. It's just a full on you know skirmish game. Um, but it was very heavy and complicated, which did not exist at that time in, the, in those kind of games. Um, and so I believe this is a complete, now that they've learned so much as designers and have made so many wonderful games like Too Many Bones and Cloudspire, they're going back uh, to the well and um, bringing, using the theme again and re-implementing it and uh, improving on it, hopefully. Okay. Sounds interesting. Uh, they are probably my second close to Instaback company. I just love them as people. I love uh, what they stand for in, in their quality of gaming and, and in their design philosophies. Um, that being said, I did not Instaback Cloudspire because I just didn't, I wasn't down for it at the time. And I made a mistake because it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they were, <laughs> so, they, were, they were kind enough to send us a copy for review. And they, yeah. even, and they even sent you an advanced prototype of, uh, of uh, an expansion, I right? Know. And I, I still, it's still on my table and I still play Cloudspire. It's a fantastic solo game. Amazing. So, yeah, I'll probably um, dive into Hoplomachus because I have a problem with Cloudspire games. Totally. I mean, with chip theory games. <laughs> um, Southern Rails is a game. Rio Grande Games has been publishing or republishing i should say winsome games lines they did uh mobile golf in ohio they did irish gauge now no no I, that's not oh irish gauge is not them i'm sorry but they uh, no. but irish gauge is a winsome game uh title but it's published by a different uh different capstone people. capstone yeah yes capstone capstone has also been doing a lot of uh, winsome games they also did whatever the, you know harry woo which is which is southern rails uh, southern rails is a harry woo game and as we all know harry woo is not a person that exists it is uh, john borer it is one of john borer's many secret pseudonyms for himself john borer that has to be appropriation right you can't just i mean that seems a little crazy to me there are many. <laughs> there are many problematic things about John Borer. Sure. <laughs> this is one of them. Well, yeah, uh, so, you guys so will know that John Borer is, is is the other capstone game that's by Harry Wu. Yes, yes. Uh, and John Borer did did design Irish Rails. Um, John Borer famously did not design Age of Steam, even though his name is on the uh, the box of this one. No, he was he was a map designer on that, and there's a huge fight over how much of Age of Steam he designed. Uh, Southern Rails is a game that takes place in the southern United States. If you've played Mobile Golf in Ohio, uh, Golf Mobile in Ohio, if you've played Irish Rails, you kind of know what this is. These are you mean Irish Gauge? Irish Gauge, yes. Uh, oh yeah, that's Tom Russell, by the way, from Hollenspiel. Not not Harry Wu on that one. What is that right? Irish Gauge is by Tom Russell. Yeah. Ooh, uh, my apologies. I'm so sorry. Um. I think they were. Why do I think that that was uh, John Borer? Was he the publisher of it? Well, initially? because the other Capstone Cube Rails game, Ride the Rails, is. Oh, Harry there you Wu. go. That's what it is. That's what it is. Okay. So my apologies uh, to to the Irish Rails designer. Um, these are Cube Rail games. These are these are shorter, quicker. But they deliver a lot of the meanness that you that you come to like in a good rail game. Um, they're 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 much less complex than 18xx. They're slightly less complex generally than uh, than Age of Steam. But they're in usually that pretty age. cheap, pretty affordable. Yes, yes. Uh, if you if you like rail games and you'd like a little taste of something different, hey, guess what? 
this is going to be the second winsome title Rio Grande Games is uh, trying to put out this year. Trans-Siberian Railroad is the other one. So uh, come on by mm-hmm. and, uh, and check it out. And last but not least, uh, we have a teaser that has just come out for the next and last Pandemic Legacy game they're calling it they called it zero season zero which is like some classic xbox kind of thing where it's like you can't be behind ps4 so you have to call yourself like you know xbox (laughs) so they don't want to if they call it pandemic three people won't buy it who didn't play one and two so they're calling it zero so that people be like oh i'll jump in now it's the first one well where is it in the chronology of the story it is zero it is it is it is the rogue yeah there you go it's the Rogue One of Pandemic Legacy. It happens shortly before the first, uh, the, the the first movie uh, is basically is basically what it is. Uh, we don't know anything about it, but uh, we've learned that by the end of this month, we're supposed to get a info dump that is going to have a lot of uh, of information out. Um, wait a minute, like is that an insta buy for you? Yeah, I'll buy it. Yeah, did you play the other two? I played the first one, and I'm good. I don't really like Pandemic. Oh, Manny, like Manny doesn't like cooperative games. I don't really. I liked Pandemic for the yes. story, but I really I didn't enjoy the gameplay. Look, Manny I don't enjoy is, playing Pandemic. Manny is forced to work together with his wife and his kids. Okay, he doesn't like to do that in any other just, in I, any other. No judgment ca- to anybody who loves it. It's just not. It doesn't float my boat. <laughs> I like to see how the story evolves, and I, and and that's the only part I can get down for. But I I would be fine also if somebody just told me the story after they played it. Gentlemen, well, actually, I, I mean, like, from a design sense and, like, uh, how they constructed the narrative. True. Uh, yes, yes. That is interesting to me, too. You're right. I, I, because he does come up with very smart ways to do that. Yeah. I, I thought that the, the original Pandemic Legacy was one of the most jaw-dropping designs in board game history. I thought that the, it was awesome. the number of innovations packed into one game were, were just astonishing i, I really oh, totally no it's, it's mount rushmore game for sure in, in our hobby i think oh yeah 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 uh, the only the only sad thing is is that no one's really been uh, the we thought everything would be legacy we'd have a ton of legacy and boy oh boy did uh did charterstone and uh seafall and you know they, one by one they were they were dropping like flies no one's been able to quite duplicate the uh the the, the genius of legacy uh, quite like rob davio did uh folks I think this is going to be a very short Games on the Brain sequence. I think we all know what's on our brain, but let's do it anyway. Games! Games on the Brain! These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh, baby! Guys, what's on your brains? Uh, <laughs> Imperial Shrugs. Yeah. Imperial, Imperial, struggle, struggle. Imperial Struggle. We'll get into that. Uh, but I have been playing Last of Us, too, which I'm, I'm really enjoying. Oh, uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, the, yeah. So, so tell us about it. Um, I, Tom, did you ever play the first one? Did you, cause I know you don't play video games much. Well, uh, no, I did, play, I did play the original Last of Us because even though I don't, you're right, I don't play video games. I have uh, written uh, a couple of video games, and when they found out, when, when the designers of uh, Walking Dead Saints and Sinners found out that they were referencing Last of Us, uh, quite a bit, and I had, had no to. idea what they were talking about. 
they they dragged me into another room. They sat me down. They put me in front of it, and uh, they they laughed at me when they saw me fumbling around in that world. But it, I, I, I thought I thought it was amazing. I thought it was amazing yeah. world. Yeah, I played um, it. It's a great game. I'm very excited to play the second one. I just I feel it deserves more attention than I can give it right now. All right. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say too much about it because I don't I don't want to give spoilers. And but I, yeah. I, I I love it. Just like. Uh, the story, the attention to detail. There's yeah. just a lot of love that went into that game, and there's a lot of controversy surrounding it. And uh, we don't need to get into that. But um, what's the controversy? I, is well, there, or is it just like GamerGate morons? Yeah, there's a lot of that, um, yeah. and a lot of you know homophobics because you know you have the lead characters. Um, first of all, a woman. Oh gosh, uh, and she's gay. Oh my god, and so a lot of people are just really upset by that. And and then I've also heard there's like if, if the game is spoiled, yeah. I, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I mean, people getting upset about that is like, do we do we even need to pay attention to that? Right. Well, so I think um, it's fantastic. But Naughty Dog is Naughty Dog is probably a video game company that's insta buy for me, like a board game company. I know they they have some slightly problematic stuff in their their world of forcing yeah. labor, the, but the crunch. Um, yeah, that that stuff sounds awful. But in terms of just the things they produce, uh, I think I've bought every game they've ever made. I have worked. They with... made the Uncharted games. They yeah. made. Um, they make it all. As they you make, probably, they make as the you probably know, I I, uh, I was one of the writers on the Uncharted movie. So I've worked uh-huh. with I've worked with Naughty Dog in the uh, yeah. in in the feature world, and uh, they were they were fantastic to work with. They were really really smart, really 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 good people. Uh, so uh, did you work with Druckmann? Yeah. You know, listen, we're, we were doing a movie adaptation of the Uncharted franchise. So when I say work with, we had a few meetings with, with them. We made sure that we understood what was really core and crucial and what they wanted to make sure we preserved in the, in, in the movie. And then we went off and, and wrote it and we had, a, you know, we had to deal with uh, producers and so on and so forth uh, on that side of the thing. But uh, as the rights holders uh, of, you know, and it's a Sony property, so uh, we, we, they were more involved than a lot of, uh, a lot of rights holders are. So it was good. Good process. Yeah, cool. Maddie, anything else on your brain besides Imperial Struggle? I have got nothing else on my brain besides Imperial Struggle. No, it's let's just, get into this review. Let's do it. Well, first, we got to do the update on the 8x8 challenge, which is there is no update on the 8x8 challenge. And then we have to do the Game Brain Top 50. We are doing numbers 20 through 16. Here we go. Number 20, Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan was voted on by Dimitri, Jennifer, and Alfred. Uh, what else can we say? It's a great game. I think the, I will say this. I think that the expansions have made the game feel better and better to me. Like at first I thought, yeah, "Yeah, it's just another one of their games, but the, I think the expansions have really, really, uh, made the game shine. And we haven't even gotten this expansion to the table yet, which is the, the, it's just the technologies. Oh, the Ziddle? Is that Mm. the... Yeah, or no, Shadows, yeah, Shadows of Zittle. It's just more technologies, which to me is the most interesting thing in the game. Totally, totally. Number 19, number 19 is Through the Ages, the Vlada Chavadal classic. Paul, Matt, and Alfred all voted for that one. Num- Absolute masterpiece. Right. Just, uh, well, I mean, isn't st- it's probably in the board game, it's still in BGG, probably top five. It's got to mm-hmm. be, be close. Uh, number 18 is... Agricola, the Uva Rosenberg classic. Trey, I feel like that should be higher. I'm surprised it's not. 
Yeah. Well, Trey's number one game. It's uh, it's I voted for it as well, and Jesse voted for it. So uh, you didn't vote for through it, the ages. Man. By the way, is number five. <laughs> uh, just just hey, I said there. I said top five. How about that? Yep. Uh, yeah. So so uh, and nineteen eighteen is uh, is Agricola, which is is crazy that it's only barely in our top twenty. Yeah. But uh, I've actually gotten back into it because um, I, I purchased the whole new revised edition and. Um, I keep threatening to get it to the table with Rachel because I actually think she'd enjoy it. But uh, it's I, I like the new version. It looks gorgeous. It's beautiful. I, I think it's interesting that you think it should be higher, but you didn't vote for it. <laughs> yeah, because it, this this we did this list before I sort of re heard of and, and sort of fell back in love with it. Yeah, I bought the the new version from Jennifer. Jennifer was cleaning it out, and I was it's like, "Oh, gorgeous. I'll take that. I'll take that from you." Number yeah. seventeen. Ricochet robots. We. This is one of those that is going to distinguish our list from almost everybody else's list. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but Paul, myself, and Jake all have Ricochet robots. Uh, pre- I do too. Pretty high up on our list. I don't see it on your list, Jesse. Oh, it, it really? It's. It didn't make your top twenty. No, I'm sorry oh. to say. But uh, I, I know we've talked about it, and I know that, that if it didn't make the top 20, I'm sure it was in your top 30. So, uh, you know, but it's tough. No, it's just I made the list in 30 minutes. I was just not thinking. It just wasn't on my mind at the moment. It might have even been higher than 17, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, and then 16 is Eclipse. Dimitri, Ooh, Paul, Alfred, and Jake. Dimitri, Paul, Alfred, and Jake. The, uh, yeah. The, 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 Jake's a real swing vote here. You never know with Jake. You never know what you're doing. You, you know, it's just with whatever the ones that he remembered the names of. Jake is Jake is like a box if you of have chocolates. A, easy to remember name. You did well on Jake's list. No, 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 uh, no. I uh, okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little bit out of school. But uh, what I did for Jake. Oh, Jake's list. Got, got no, it. what I did with Jake is I sent him a huge email, and in that email I wrote down like. The, like a hundred games that he might remember, and with each of them, I didn't just write them down, but I attached a picture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that he could look at it. A, a lot of work for you. Wow. That's, that's I wouldn't what, have done that. This so is he chose what, his favorite This piece. is what we do for the casual gamer to, 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 to bring guess, him back. Jesus, I wouldn't. You gotta... <laughs> You got to do some things. All right, let's get to it. We've been we're we're dying to talk about this. We are talking about Imperial Struggle. Imperial Struggle is a 2020 release. It is by designers Ananda Gupta and Jason Matthews. The art is by Roger McGowan, and it is put out by GMT Games. We didn't announce this. We should announce this. We forgot to mention this. Uh, GMT Games. After we, you know, shortly after we had our podcast where we were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter. Uh, put out a statement. We're not saying in any way, shape, or form that our podcast affected th- th- this decision. But if you go to GMT Games and you go to About GMT Games, uh, they have a statement of uh, support for uh, for diversity and racial tolerance. Not for Black Lives Matter. Not specifically Black Lives Matter, but as we discussed in 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 that thing, you know, in that discussion, Candace and and, and it was. You know, very adamant that you know they don't need to say specific words, but we do want to know you know where you stand in this very difficult time. So, also worth pointing out, they didn't actually release as as, as a statement. They Correct. just updated their 
they're about a section in the dark of night and alerted no one to it. But look, look, I'm just I'm just giving you the facts. You nope. can do what you want. It's um, totally true. Uh, listen, um, my point of view on this is 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 it is it not everything that we would hope for in a in a statement by a, a war game company? Absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah. But it is a baby uh, step. It is it is a first. I'm, it, I'm not giving out cookies, but I'm also I'm not slapping wrists. You I, know? Okay. I totally agree. It's and, better listen, than nothing. To be the to be only the second and really let let's face it kind of the first the the only other uh, war game company that has that has put out a statement has only put out two or three games in there. Well, in can their, I can I just lifetime. say because let's just get this out of the way now sure. because there may be listeners who are wondering how we're okay with this. So Imperial Struggle is a game um, about colonialism. Um, it is a game where colonialism is a major part of the game. There is even something called a slaving contract that is that is an advantage if yes. you own it in the game um is this problematic that's up to you to decide uh here here's some some things though that i will say uh ananda gupta is a uh, a staunch advocate of black lives matter I, I, I at least that's what i can deduce by the amount of statements he's made regarding it um he uh is also has gone. He and, the, and Jason Matthews have gone out of their way to give context historically. This is not an abstract wherein slaving contracts is thrown in for no reason. The book has about 20 pages of information on every single part of the game, historical information on it. Um, 28 pages. But, 28 pages, yes. including a selected bibliography. So... Um, you know, the game definitely should come with a content and trigger warning um, for anybody who does not want to partake in the uh, simulation historical recreation of colonialism, especially when something called slaving contracts is an advantage to own in this game that could be quite upsetting or um, at least uh, unenjoyable for, for gamers out there. And it's worth discussing anytime we have a game about colonialism. And one could say this is the mother of all colonialism games because you know, it captures way, yeah. the entire century that was, you know, marked by colonialism. 1697 to 1789 and the global rivalry between Britain and France. Jesse, do you want to give us a sort of a, you know, a, a, the view from 100 feet up on what Imperial Struggle is? Uh, yeah, well, uh, you, you said it's the 18th century rivalry between France and, uh, and Britain, and uh, played over six peace turns and spanning three eras and four major wars mixed in. Um, the board has got, you know, four major regions. Obviously, it's the Europe, and then you got North America, the Caribbean, and India, and the spaces are made up of, um, you know, economic spaces, the markets. You got diplomatic, you know, with alliances and the prestige. You got militaristic spaces with the forts and the squadrons. Uh, and then you got territories, which, you know, are only gained through the, uh, uh, the theaters of war. Um, you got this great debt mechanic. Um, you know, if you, uh, you need some extra points, you can spend some debt and, and then you can pull off that, that, that feat you wanted to go for it. And, um, so it is a card-driven yeah. war game, right? Uh, so much like a Twilight Struggle was a card-driven war game, and we're going to put war in quotes because to a lot of war gamers, it, this is more like a Euro game, and to a lot of Euro gamers, this is more like a war game. So these games are, are sort of bridging a gap between these two uh, hobbies, right? I, I, yeah, I would, you know, I would say that uh, Twilight Struggle is a card-driven game, and I would say this is a little bit more of a tile-driven game. In the sense that everything revolves around action selection driven game. 
Yes, yeah, but it, but it's kind of on those tiles, or the you know yeah. the, those are those are basically determining what you're going to do on the. Uh, on Can I ask turn. you a question, Jesse? If I, if you had no idea who the designers of this game were, would you know who the designers of this game were after playing it? I I think it's impossible to answer that question. What do you mean? <laughs> well, yeah, like, would, would, I would know? you yes, know I, this it, was from the same designers as Twilight Struggle? If you were, if, um, if you sat okay. down and played this game, you, would you have said, "Gosh, this is this is this really cribs from Twilight Struggle a lot"? Is, is or this feels okay. like Twilight? Yeah. Well, okay. Let's talk about the similarities to Twilight Struggle. Okay, they're both one v one games. <laughs> they're both one v one area control, two to four hour gameplay, right? They both have the tug of war victory point uh, win condition. Two to four. Well, that's what they that's what they put uh, one twenty to two forty hours. To, three to six, maybe. But, but realistically, yes. But okay, but both of them have the tug of war victory point win condition, mm-hmm. right? right? Uh, both both have a feeling of evolving. Uh, you know, when different cards are introduced from era to era. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, uh, you know, both have this dynamic where each turn presents like a unique focus on where the struggle will take place, yeah. depending right? on historically that time uh, in a lot of ways. Right, right. Uh, you know, yeah. So twice struggle has got the event cards, and then and then which which scoring cards are still left in play. Uh, and imperial struggle in this case has the uh, the event ministry cards, and then the award markers, the global demand, the theaters of war. Those are all determining where the the struggle focuses. Um, yeah. Um, so, and then you're also gauging that that you know uh, that what's going on right now. Where's the struggle focus right now versus the war of the entire game? Right. Uh, and, and I feel like they both manage AP really well. Where and, and AP being focus, analysis, like, you could have so problems. many choices to do in in a game like this. Yep. But by focusing on these areas from turn to turn, it helps you you know. Cut down yeah, the, ca- the camera kind of zooms in on certain sections throughout the game. Yeah, N- narrowing your your decision space. Yeah, card driven war games are a fairly recent innovation. Uh, the uh, one of the very first ones was Mark Simonovich's um, uh, Hannibal Rome versus Carthage, and the innovation was instead of just moving pieces on a board and spending action points and all that sort of stuff, you're playing actual cards, and the cards give you abilities and things that you can do on a given turn, and some sometimes give you options and hard choices. Um, and what people found is, is that they really liked that there are now tons of card-driven war games because the text on the card is about the historical events that happened, and it really does a great job of immersing you in the world, immersing you in the history, and giving a lot of context to the way the game plays out. Um, it, Twilight Struggle was entirely a card-driven uh, war game in which your action each turn was to play a card and then prosecute that card, to to use the points on the card, to use the event on the card, to have to allow the opponent to use the event on the card, and so on and so forth. So everything came from the action of playing that uh, that card in one way or another. This game is different. This game has introduced um, these influence actions, or investment actions, I should say. Uh, There are nine tiles that you will have each and every round of the game, and the tiles range from, have they all have a major action and a minor action on them. The minor action, the major action could be between two points to spend, or four points to spend. Two, three, or four. And the minor actions always are two points. Now, why would you choose an action that has only two-point major action? Well, because 
that is going to come with two extra benefits. One means that you can play one of your event cards, of which you have a hand of three, and you can also upgrade one of your military tiles, your war tiles that you have to prosecute the upcoming wars. If you have three as your major action, then you don't get to upgrade any any of your military tiles, but you do get to take a uh, a, a you get to use one of your event cards. So let, let me let me just say, sorry, go ahead, this please. is this is this is one of my favorite aspects of the game is looking at these investment tiles when they come out and looking at what is scarce and like you know you got a, you got some event cards you want to play this turn. Well, how many? How many two, three, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. tokens are out there that allow you to play yep. an, an event card? Uh, or if you need to take and control... And do they, uh, do they match the event you want to play? Because some events right. require you picking Correct. an exact uh, uh, tile. Or like in the last game, uh, you know, me and, me and Tom, uh, we were playing. There was, there was some struggle going on in Europe. And, and then that, that next turn, there was maybe two or three diplomatic actions if you want to if you want to take control of europe you got to have some diplomatic actions available and there weren't very many so i think it's so interesting to keep track of that kind of stuff tremendously tremendously so let's talk about the three types of actions the three types of actions you can take are military economic and diplomatic and they differ in this way Uh, economic actions are used to take over and control markets Markets are important because there are six commodities in the game, and on any given round, there are three of those. On any given turn, three of those are going to be scored. And so you are going to demand. Exactly. You're going to be fighting, fighting, fighting to have more than your opponent, more markets of that particular type than that, because there are. And each of those commodities is tied to a specific region, too. They're not spread all out over the world. Exactly right. Which is uh, so then we get to the military actions. Military actions are all about moving, building fleets, moving fleets around, which we call squadrons at this uh, at this point of and claim uh, and claim. And repairing forts. And building and uh, repairing forts. Also, things like um, buying bonus war tiles, which are going to give you plus one, plus two, plus three sometimes in different war theaters. Plus four. Goes up to four. Oh, there you go. Um, Which are going to give you big bonuses in the upcoming wars that are going to be happening from time to time. And then last but not least, there are diplomatic actions. There are spaces that are solely diplomatic, and those... You do not need to chain your way over to something. You can send a diplomat anywhere on the board and affect change there. Uh, Europe is almost entirely diplomatic. Almost everything in Europe is solely diplomatic. So you're in a constant diplomatic battle for the control of Europe. In other there are parts, no markets and no forts in Europe, but there are two places for squadrons. That's why I said almost. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. So the, the game has three different types of ways to project your influence and your power on the map. And being able to balance those is an incredible challenge and a real, real trick. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a fascinating combination of elements. The next thing we should say is that, that, as we said, there are six peace turns and four war turns in the game. Interesting thing is that you would normally think that since the peace turns are separated into there, the, there's two peace turns and then we switch to the middle era where we add in more cards into the deck. The middle era has two more peace turns. The and Empire we, era. Correct. And then we go to the revolution era, which is the last two turns of the game when we add even, even more cards into the deck. 
uh, unlike Twilight Struggle, there are not that many cards in this game. There are 15 cards in the uh, Conquest era, 15 cards in the, the second era, and, 15, and 11 cards in yeah. the Revolution era. So it, it's a fairly small deck, which is interesting. Uh, Trey has said that he had a, a problem playing Twilight Struggle because there were so many cards you had to know to play that game. Well. To, That's yeah, true. The whole the whole game is knowing all the cards in the deck and knowing all the possibilities that your folk can have. And by, it, it's still enjoyable to play the game. Oh yeah. without knowing you know knowing the basic. But yeah, right. But you can't know the game really well. Right. Right. This so, is so now. This is there's sixty there's sixty uh, what how many fifty one cards in the whole game. 41. Yeah. 41. 41? Well, uh, 41. 41 event cards. <laughs> There's 41 event right. cards in the in, in the game. There are, right. That there is are also, so manageable. Yeah, there are also ministry cards, but ministry cards are different because you can see all of your ministry cards all the time, yeah. and, eat, and in each era, you're going to choose two of them that you can potentially bring to bear. So... The complication here is that you have two different types of cards, and they have certain synergies, certain advantages, and learning how to balance and weigh those is a, is a tremendous challenge in the game as well. Yeah, this, this to me is, uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit, this is to me is one of my favorite aspects of this game in comparison to Twilight Struggle. I think this game has a bigger overhead in terms of understanding it and grokking it. I think this takes a, a considerable amount more time and effort than understanding Twilight Struggle. But I think you get to a point where you can play this competitively a thousand hours ahead than you do for Twilight Struggle. Agreed. Because there isn't 180 cards you have to, uh, in your head, just know all the possibilities. You're first, all, that's it, 41 cards, and each side's little small deck of ministry cards. That's it. Other than that, everything else is on the board. And uh, there's a thing, so splatter games are often criticized by some people for being a, a little too tough in the first turn, in the sense that they say you could lose the game in the very first turn of a splatter game, to which uh, Yaron, uh, one of the designers <laughs> of splatter, said, why would I want to play a game in, if the first turn doesn't matter? Why, why have a first turn? Why have a first turn if it doesn't matter? If you can't lose on the first turn, Well, I will tell you that this game... The first turn matters. The first, the first turn, at the end of the first turn, we jump into the first war immediately. So right out of the gate, you're going to get, you're gonna get a well, four. You, you literally four. can lose the game at the end of every turn. Yes. I, I heard that that may have happened between That's you it. guys. Absolutely. <laughs> it, 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 what it told me was this is not, in, in a lot of games, you get a sense of buildup and then conflict build up and then climax. This is not that kind of game. This is a game where you are punching each other in the teeth right from the get-go and yeah. depending and and you can be building toward the future, but if you do so, you better watch that victory point marker and you better see where yeah. it's going because if the other person is is sacrificing future board position for current points, they could they could get you into an untenable position where you're not you're never going to be able to see the rewards of your long-term planning. Which is yeah, there are there are game ending victory conditions at the end of every round, which is such an awesome level of tension. Like you know, you, you do have to plan long. You do have to plan long term, but you can lose every turn. Yeah, that's I, I can't think of another game that does that. It's just awesome. Now I'm curious. Uh, I don't know how many times you guys have played this. I've played. I'm in the middle of a game with Tom, but otherwise I've played two full 
you know, I still consider same, them same like here. learning I'm, games. I'm the exact same. Um, oh, okay. Oh, I, so, I've played I've played three games, and I can easily say easily say that these are very early impressions. I mean, this is like, I mean, you know, it'd be yeah. the same as if you played three games of Twilight Struggle and giving a review on it. So right, take right. everything yeah. you're saying with a grain of salt. So, but like, um, I've only seen, I've only played through the end of the third piece turn. So I haven't even seen like anything past. I'm curious if either of you have. I made it to the revolutionary era, but not to the end. And that was on a solo game. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it is, yeah, I, I've, uh, you know, I have my copy open and I've been studying the revolution era cards and they're amazing. <laughs> there's some, there's some, the fact that, that it goes down to only 11 cards for the last round because some of the cards you're carrying over into the, into the next round. So you only need yep. a, a 11. It's really, it's you, you can have a very strong knowledge of by looking at your cards, what your capabilities are and what, and what your opponent might and, have and what there's a pretty darn good chance that you yeah. have facing you, which is an amazing, amazing thing to to have in, in a game that gets that far. Um, it, it is it, there are so many things to factor in when you play this game. For instance, just to start off, you are going to start with three event cards. Right, and you look at those three event cards, and some of those event cards have a uh, have a tag on them. They have a, a a word like governance or style or mercantilism. Right, you have a hand of tons of uh, of ministry cards, uh, only five of which I think you can play in the first era. But those you, you only have five in every era, except I think the British have six in the Revolutionary they can choose from. But other, you never correct. have more than five to choose from, other than that one exception. And you're going to choose two of them. And the reason you're choosing them is that they have strong advantages, and you can flip over those Ministry cards at any point to take to take advantage of what they what they can do for your empire. But you also have to realize that sometimes the best thing that they can do is to have a word that matches one of your event cards. Because when you play an event card that that matches your ministry card, that event card now can play its bonus. And some of those bonuses are essentially doubling oh, the think effectiveness. All, I, think, I think all the cards are weighted towards you shouldn't play this without the bonus unless you really have to. Yes. Yeah, but I'd also say that some of them are traps. Yep, because they're oh, that's a sweet bonus, but it may not have anything to do with the current struggle. Well, and that's the problem too. Like, there's a lot of cards that are like punish cards, but if your opponent hasn't done the thing that you need to punish, then it's totally wasted. Which brings well, us that to too, yeah. which brings us to the mechanism of debt in the game. Now, you know me; you've heard me talk about uh, Age of Steam. I love debt in games. I think that's one of my favorite things in games. In this game, you start off. Each player starts off with uh, four. A debt limit of four or five, somewhere around six, there. six is, available. Is six? Debt. Thank you. Yeah, six available debt. You can spend. You can take debt anytime you want, and it gives you a plus one. So if you had four diplomatic for actions, your action points. Yes, if you had four diplomatic actions to take this turn, and you realize I have six points worth of diplomatic actions I need to take. For instance, I need to spend two to take your flag off of Austria, and I need to spend another two to put mine on, but then I also want to spend two to put a diplomatic flag in the prestige space in Ireland. I could do all of that by taking two debt. You the even could, on your very first turn, take a four <laughs> diplomatic tile and spend all six and have ten diplomacy to spend in Europe on your first turn. Tom, Jesse, tell me why that's probably not a good idea, though. <laughs> why it's not a good idea to spend 10? Yeah. 
yeah, in yeah. Why, why, Europe? Why, why, why is it, it, why be, is it bad? Well, just, oh, you mean to why, spend well, on debt? On my first turn, it? why would it be bad to max out my debt? Oh, well, there's lots of cards that could punish you for that. And if you uh, if your debt goes all the way up to your debt limit and you take more debt beyond that, those get transferred into bonus points, to victory exactly. points for your opponent. So there are ways of forcing your opponent to take debt. And if you're maxed out, you lose points. Uh, it only takes, at the beginning of the game, 15 to lose the game. And there are punish cards. Lots of punish cards. All the punish cards in this game punish the person who has less available debt. So and they it, punish pretty hard. Remember when we said those bonus, uh, those bonus actions on those event cards? Well, some of them are triggered by matching a word that is on one of your ministry cards. Some of them are triggered by the other person having more debt currently less than you. Less available debt, yeah. Yes, uh, yes, less available debt is, what, is the way we should put it. Uh, when we enter a new age, so remember there are three ages in the game, your debt limit goes up by four, so you increase the amount of debt you can get, but that's, that tug of war between who has less available debt than the other player at any given moment is still completely operational and puts you into a very delicate position very, very quickly. But then and it's very hard to lower your debt. Very hard. Right. But there's also treaty points. So they kind of mix in that dynamic, right? So you, often treaty points are given to, you know, the player who lost in the theaters of war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or won regions. <clears throat> right. Um, and uh, But you can spend treaty points if you're not, you know, to, instead of spending your debt. So. so Yeah, treaty points are debt with no downside. So let's talk about wars really quick. Um Let's see. Jesse, would you go over just basically how a war is fought as opposed to how a region is scored during peacetime? Just to sort of uh, an over, yes. overview. Thank you. Well, so so as far as like scoring the regions, when you do the regional scoring, um, you're going to start you know, with each region. You're just count the flags, how many flags you got in the region, and then you're going to get the award marker. Uh, you do that with Europe. And then also with Europe, you're going to count how many prestige spaces. That's the only region that has prestige spaces. And you'll get two victory points for that. And then you do it with the Caribbean and then, and then India. And then you got the theaters of war. There's four theaters. Um, and there are, Sometimes there's three. Oh, is there? Oh, I didn't get that far. Um, and like in the first war, um, it is concentrated mostly on Europe. It's like Europe, Europe, Europe. And there's one in North America. Yeah, and then in the second one, uh, I, I I'm trying to remember. Oh, I think second one two is Europe, Caribbean one... and North America and Europe, right? And so it changes. Um, uh, I, think and... I think it's actually India, isn't it? It's it's not the Caribbean. Oh, you're right. Third one is there is some India. Yeah, it's a uh, yeah conflict markers and squadrons in India. Yeah, yeah, and forts. Yeah. yeah. So Europe, and Europe, got... North America, and India is the second era. The, the and you got war. this the ongoing uh, Jacobite uh, rebellion that is you know. That is a really interesting dynamic. I hate uh, them. I hate the Jacobites. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, so yeah, we didn't talk about the. So, uh, when you set up for the theaters of war, you're each putting in a random basic war tile, which is going to range anywhere from negative one to plus two, mostly in the zeros and ones range. And then the, some of the lower tiles will have some sort of uh, bonus to them since they're since they're low, like remove a flag from this particular region. Um, or remove a squadron or a fort or damage a fort. That's how you damage a fort. Um, and, uh, and then you can also spend military points during peace turns to uh, add bonus tiles to the, any of these regions uh, if there's a particular one that you're fighting for. And so you're going to count these bonus tiles, all these, you know, the, the tiles, the basic war tiles, the bonus tiles for each theater. But then the theater is also going to list out 
which alliances or or, or for the media, that region is uh, if there's conflict markers or if you have forts or squadrons in that region. Uh, so you're going to count all of those to see who is going to win that theater of war. And that person's going to get uh, victory points. And then they're going to get control points. And control points allow you to take territories. Conquest. Conquest points, yes. You're right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Conquest points uh, that allow you to take territories on the map that otherwise are unavailable. You know, through this peace. is the only time in the game that those can switch hands. Yeah. And, and, then, and then this is also where the person who loses a theater will get um, uh, some treaty points. And those conflict points can also, uh, conquest points can also be used to flip control of forts, which are incredibly hard to take any other way and things right. like that. Yeah. So, and conquest points can take anything. You could, you could literally, for one conquest point, you can take anything you want on that tile in addition to the territories listed as available territories for conquer. This, this is a really fascinating rule that I have yet to have seen exercised, but that if somebody has a conquest point and they want to take over your territory, you can refuse. Yep. <laughs> Je refuse, monsieur. You, you I can do it twice per war. Yep. And the first time you would suffer uh, three, three, points. three points, and the second time you would suffer five. So you could. Eight points, you probably points. lose the game. <laughs> but <laughs> there, are definitely, there are definitely territories that if you lose would probably be worth three points to you as long as you can suffer it. I could see losing eight, point, eight victory points if, if, if it meant you were going to get a, an instant victory on the next round. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like what situation we're would gonna actually win, be on board with that? Care about points. Yeah. I, I think I think points the was your victory condition. I think refusing the first one and losing three points, I can totally get that. Uh, yeah. Refusing five more points, I think, yeah. is crazy. These, these are these territories are key footholds in these regions, and if you lose them, there are, there's there's chances that you could actually just be out of that region. I mean, like if somebody plans correctly, you might never be able to get back into that region, at least until the next war. So uh, it can be I want to I, I want to we've talked about a whole bunch of different things. I want to bring it back down to a player experience right now. I'm just going to talk through sort of what my mindset would be when I begin a turn of this game. First thing I'm doing is I'm drawing those three new event cards. And if I have any event cards in my hand, I'm going to have to discard back down to three. So I'm looking at what do they do? What areas, what regions of the board do they affect? What what advantage do they connect with in terms of the, uh, uh, the uh, ministry cards that I have? Right. Wait, and actually, I, 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 I love that you're doing this. I would, I would say right before that, I would be looking at where are the award markers? Just very basic. Sure, where yeah. are the award markers going to be on the board? Like there's a, they, they range from zero to three. Um, and, uh, and then also, what's the global demand look like? So the global demand is there's not going to be any, um, uh, um, you know, fish or, or, or tobacco being uh, fought over in Europe. But that's going to determine how much energy is going to go into North America or the Caribbean or India. So uh, so that's just I yeah. would say that as a base, I would probably, you know, kind of get a feel for that. And then I would go look at the event and the ministry cards. Sure, sure, sure. And then I'm going to look at the investment tiles because. When I choose, when I take my turn, I am going to, the first thing I'm going to do is choose one investment tile, and that's the tile I'm going to play. Those are the ones that say the primary action on this is three military actions, and the secondary is two diplomacy actions. Or this one is four economic actions and two military actions as the backup. And, and the one that had three, that also allows me to play an event card and so on and so forth. And I'm looking 
for the synergies. I'm also looking at, of those nine investment tiles that are out there, what isn't there, right? Like, wow, holy Mm -hmm. cow, look at it. Six of those, their primary actions are diplomatic, which means there are only three three of those tiles that have non-diplomatic actions as their primary action. Boy, oh boy, if any of those are important to me, I better grab them as quick as I possibly can. And But that's going to affect the way my turn goes. It's going to affect the order in which I'm probably going to have to play things in, in an order that I'm not really crazy about playing in, right? Then I have to look at the board. Where is, oh, look, we are both one space away from this fort. Whoever builds that fort first is going to have a huge advantage because once a fort is built, taking over that fort becomes super, super hard, right? right. An initiative goes to the person who is uh, losing on the victory point battle. And, and, and almost in some ways, uh, sorry, we should say that initiative doesn't mean that the person goes first. It means they choose if they who goes first. That's right. Oh, and that's, that is the most exciting decision maybe in the whole game. Because, right. I mean, look, as, as Tom is saying, it's like you got to get to that fort first. It's super important. But also imagine that. You want to go last. You want to go last because you go, all right. Look at all these struggles, and now you decide. I know you decide what happens. He doesn't get to respond to me now. I can now choose which one of these I want to tip over the scale. Right, yeah. but yeah, I mean, deciding who goes first and who goes last is so not a scripted decision. <laughs> it's dependent on everything on the board. Mm-hmm. It is it, absolutely, and I have a predilection toward going first in this game, and yet. Every time I do, the last action yeah, is devastating to you. killing yeah. me. It's just killing me because I can't do because anything about it. And all of a sudden, oh, I thought I, I thought I had more markets in tobacco, and I thought I had more markets in fish. And all of a sudden, boom, I'm, they are winning in, in tobacco. They're tied in fish now. And with their two little minor military actions, they've totally killed my chances in, so, in such and such a place. It's, I it's, feel like this is a personal thing you're talking about right now. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this is, is exactly that right? what happened with us. Yeah. That is what happened with us. It was, those it was those good. forts, especially the ones in North America, are so wildly important. But both of them are you're two turns away from getting them yeah. with market builds or with squadron builds. So it's so interesting because it's like, you still, you know, going first, it means you're the first one to be able to start that process of working your way towards the forts. Uh, can I say something else with the investment tiles? Um, interesting dynamic. So each uh, turn, you're going to have the nine of these tiles. I believe there's 21 of them or 24. Something like that, yes. Right? Okay, So, but, but the point is... Yeah, 24. There's a set amount of these that are kind of mixed up, right? Like probably evenly. Um and then, but you're going to have nine come out, and then you're going to set those aside next turn, and you're going to have a new nine come out. Okay. Yeah, you'll see them all. But you won't. You won't see them all. You won't yeah, you see. Will. You'll see eighteen you do, out of twenty-four. You'll, you'll, see, see, you'll those, see most of them. Eighteen out of and twenty-four. Then, That's right. Right. And then you mix them together. So it's just interesting. It's interesting to know that. When you oh, see you don't a, what, you don't put out those last three and then shuffle nope. the rest. The six you shuffle them all back together. You, you no interesting. You, okay, got it. So you can't totally math everything out, which I kind of like. Okay. Yeah, but you can somewhat predict. Oh, there's been a lot of these out. There's been a lot of diplomatic action, pretty scarce later, but you won't know precisely. But anyway, I like the way that they balance that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, 
So I think we've given a pretty good overview of the uh, of the game and and the, the, the way it is. Um, listen, as Matt said, we have only begun to scratch the surface of a very deep, very involved game. But I certainly think we we you know when you know, right? And I think all three of us know this is something special. This is yeah. something. I hope you're hearing the excitement in in our voices. I think we're all recognizing this This very well might be a classic that might even be better than Twilight Struggle. And since Twilight Struggle is in several of our top 10, top 5, top 3 list of games of all time, that is saying something, right? What do you guys I'm think? Ha- I'm happy to say that... Um I love Twilight Struggle and I love this game that I'm still, this is like, we're just, we just started dating me in this game, but I like where it's going. And this does not replace Twilight Struggle for me. No, no, they're different. They're different enough. So that's, what's really interesting to me is that I really expected, I was just getting Twilight Struggle with a new theme and maybe a couple new mechanics. If you like Twilight Struggle, I have no idea whether you're going to like Imperial Struggle. They have nothing to do with each other, really, if, in terms of like how it feels or if you'll like it. I genuinely don't know. It's it's to me like like I said before, learning this game is almost exponentially more complicated. Learning Twilight Struggle, I could almost teach anyone Twilight Struggle. There's like five people I would ever even consider teaching Imperial Struggle to. I don't think this is. I think this is a much bigger overhead and a lot harder to grok just like, why am I doing anything until you've played at least a game of it or a couple rounds. But I think once you grok the game, you can start playing competitively and, and really enjoy the full facet of the game so much faster than you can in uh, Twilight Struggle because of the, you know, just the huge ask of memorizing 180 or whatever cards. So this is the fascinating thing. So, I, I, I don't know where I saw this, but I, I saw some promotional ad by GMT, I believe, that was saying that this game is, uh, uh, you know, this is the follow-up to Twilight Struggle. Um, but we wanted to, we didn't want this game to feel as long. And we wanted to make it simple. We wanted to keep the sort of like it's simple rules and you can mm-hmm. play it within a night. And they said they actually had a visual scale of how weighty this game was, how difficult it was. Mm-hmm. And it was scored 1.8. <laughs> and they actually had a bar that was like, here's how low it is on this bar, so you can visualize how easy this game is to learn. And I, I was like, wow, I'm going to guess that that's not totally accurate. Well, no, um, but in and, comparison and to GMT oh, wait, wait. games, right? Yeah, what? it's only compared to other GMT games, really. Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure if that was saying... Okay, maybe it was. I don't know. Um, maybe. But I will say that, that, that it's... I could explain the overview of the game, and I have, and and people get that. The problem is sure. in the fiddliness of. Yeah. There's a lot of exceptions. Yep, so many exceptions. Oh, I mean, we didn't even talk about what isolation is, or isolated markets, or protected markets, or, or the limitations of minor of actions, and so on and so forth. Yeah. There's so many complicated little tiny edge cases. Yeah, um, American flags, Spanish flags, Jacobite. I mean, it gets crazy. So I, I, I've actually made a a list of the most common um, rules that we got hung up on, mm. and this actually also forced me to seek out the answers to them. Mm. Yeah, um, I'm curious, actually, uh, Matt, since I haven't played with you, what, yeah. what 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 were some of your what's like the biggest rule that you kind of got hung up on? 
isolating isolated markets and daisy chaining. So daisy chaining took me a while to understand. You can daisy chain a squadron into a market. You can daisy chain a fort into a market. You can never daisy chain a market into a market. That stuff I just had to memorize what an isolated market is and what it means and when isolation actually kicks in and when it erases. What a conflict marker allows me to do. What what a conflict marker costs to remove if it's next to a fort where when as it's not. Those are just things I had to memorize. Right. Yeah. There's yeah, a, like, there's a lot to yeah. it. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a game that I read the rule book and I learned the game from reading the rule book. I read the rule book twice. Same. And I learned the game. That's how I learned it. I, I, I'm not and, crazy and, well, about any of the... Let's just say thank, thank you, GMT, for putting in the playthrough, which I think is really the playbook. Agreed. Which walks you through a whole turn of it. Agreed. I actually set it up on my table because with my physical copy and worked through the playbook, and that really helped me understand the game. Yeah, I don't think this is a perfect rule book, but I think it is quite good and quite serviceable. And, you know, it, it, even though it is tough, even though there are a lot of, of difficult things to learn for a Euro gamer... Uh, in this, I think for a war gamer, this may be this may be easy peasy. But uh, I I don't. There's a great player aid on BGG. I would recommend. I actually feel like I wouldn't have fully grokked it without it. Um, it's the only player aid at the moment. It's called Imperial Struggle Player Aid. It, it does a really good job of it. Also, sadly, there is some pretty important errata that that we need to know about. That yeah. uh, is also in the file section of BGG. The most glaring and important being that Spain. there are two spaces in Spain that give you bonuses towards war that were just misprints on the map and say they don't, but you wouldn't count them in that war, and they're wildly important. So, which some ones? people have. The two alliance spaces in Spain should give bonuses for the third war, and on the oh. map they don't have three dots. So, oh, wow. but that's huge. I mean, it's but huge. it is mentioned on the it's it's mentioned on the war card. So it, you know, yeah, it is it is yeah. there. But, so. but you wouldn't know that there's two of them there. Correct. To count. Correct. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to tell that. But you would know something's up because you would. I, I, yeah. I noticed. I, I, one of the problems has been sometimes knowing at a glance, like. You, you can tell what a, a diplomatic space is. They're, you know, they're diamond-shaped. But yeah. then, like, what's the difference between an alliance and a prestige? Okay, well, the prestige has, uh, you know, a, a green border a to green it, border, right? Yeah. And then, like, alliances say alliance, right? Okay, but then there's also alliances with, like, the privateers or the Iroquois, mm-hmm. not Local to be confused alliance. with those. Right. Um, so those are alliances that exist outside of of Europe. Yeah, right. any, any, uh, any alliance space, uh, any... Uh, Prestige space, sorry, any diplomatic space outside of Europe is called a local alliance. Right, also, right, things right. you just have to memorize. Sure, right. Yeah. Because there but are cards that say, remove a flag from a local alliance. And you'd have to be like, what the hell's a local alliance? Right. And then there's places like like Sweden, which is both an alliance and prestige. The only one. And then, uh, it looks like Russia is too. No, Russia uh, is not. Russia is only one. No, there, there is one Wait, in what? Prussia that comes about Russia the empire. Right now. Russia says alliance, and it has a green border. I'm looking at oh. it right now. And then here's the thing. When we were playing on um, a Vassal the other night, I was mousing over Austria on the bottom right, which I, I always, you know, it's, it's a prestige space. But when you mouse over it in Vassal, it says it's an alliance uh, and prestige. Huh. And I don't see any dots. I don't see the word alliance. And so I'm not sure what that is. Which is, which is incorrect. Is the map incorrect or is the, the mouse over Vassal, incorrect? Interesting. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Look, I, so, I, yeah. I wanna, this is I, what you get when you buy a GMT game early. You get it two years before the second version where they fix everything. But, you know, you have to maybe 
pull out your sharpie and fixing things on the map. Yeah, for I I own my my first edition Twilight Struggle, and uh, the, there are countries that are misprinted, the the yeah. misspelled misspelled countries yeah. on the uh, on a world map, which is crazy. But that's let's not let's not lose the the thread here. I, I kind of disagree with you a little bit, Matt. In that in that I do not agree that this game. Uh, feels tremendously different than Twilight Struggle. I think it is a very different game. I don't get me wrong, but if you play Twilight Struggle and you love Twilight Struggle, I think you do have a yeah. fairly good chance of loving this game. I think I that you are you are at least fifty percent of the way there. Just at least in the sense of it is a it is a two player head to head battle. Where you are fighting over various uh, various territories, and there are six different things that could give you a one, two, or three point edge. It is a the the scoring mechanism is a tug of war. So yeah. if anyone gets test. if anyone gets to plus yeah. fifteen or, or or minus fifteen, I don't I mean, know. It, it I, shares it I shares so much. Think, I don't think this will be anywhere near as big of a seller as Twilight Struggle, nor do I think it will ever get anywhere near as high on the rankings on BGG. I, I, maybe I'm wrong. No, but I, I, think, I agree with I that. I think this is a much bigger ask than Twilight Struggle for most gamers. And I, I, I don't think you can you can teach this to half as many gamers as you can teach Twilight Struggle. I, and I also I, think the theme is less exciting to people. I think that's true. I think, that's, I, um, I, I think that is that true. That being said, that being said... I think this is the superior game, and, and uh, I, I one does not replace the other, but it's early to say ready enjoy this more than I've ever enjoyed Twilight Struggle, and I've enjoyed the hell out of Twilight Struggle. Jesse and I are strugglistas. We are huge Twilight <laughs> Struggle fans, so you're not going to hear that from, I'm going to say for Jesse, I don't think so, but definitely for me, I'm, I'm not going to say I prefer this to, to Twilight Struggle in any way, shape, or form. All, all I'll say is that I am having the same feelings of just joy and, frankly, awe playing this yeah. game in the okay. early days, exactly the same feelings that I had in the early days of playing Twilight Struggle. Yeah. And and it feels you know I know I broached this at the beginning but it feels odd to be so in love with a game with a theme that I feel like I would have sworn off it, it, for anybody else at this time in my life yeah um, and with the way the board game community is going and the way the world is changing I'm not looking for games about colonialism in fact I am wildly turned off by them but you know one of the designers being a person of color. Being no knowing their stance on these issues, knowing that they have the same concerns and fears about colonialism as a theme, you know, it helps. It makes it. I'm not saying that it coats the the medicine or whatever at all, but I, you know, it it definitely. At least I know that the person designing this is not somebody who is pushing for you know a re revisionist history yeah. of or a whitewashing of colonialism and i appreciate that they went out of their way in the rule book to give as much historical context and i don't feel like i'm larping a colonialist i think there's such a giant bird's yeah. eye view that instead it's i'm i'm experiencing historically this 100 years of time which was wildly unfortunately marked by colonialism right i, I mean it would be I sort agree. of a disservice to pretend slavery didn't exist right well that, nobody that, wants that but i think no. people are saying can we stop making games about slavery yeah yeah <laughs> you know? uh, listen playing playing nobody's saying we want a game that pretends it didn't exist they're just saying can we can we stop making games about it i don't know why that i had a problem 
a little bit playing Maracaibo, but I don't have a problem playing this. But I think what it comes down to is that this is clearly a a, a game that is about history and it's steeped in history and it is about historical accuracy. It is nothing abstract about this game. No, it is. It it is not. It is not. And I feel like when you do that, when you pull all of the there's because there can be nothing prurient in it. There can be nothing that is, is rah, rah, anything. This is, this is kind of playing through a historical period. I, I think that the, the dispassionate nature of the game for me is what saves a lot of those criticisms, at least the way I feel personally. Now I'm saying this as a as a cis hetero white man, and and uh, you know uh, I'm I'm not the person that it, it, that this is necessarily going to push my buttons. Except that you know when 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 I played Mombasa and and, and those other games, I I did have a twinge of yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not crazy. I think about there's this, something so. about playing a specific person, you know, in yeah. these yeah. settings as opposed to playing. A you know a global power spanning you know a hundred years and many different regimes. I don't know somehow by pulling it out, it feels more like a history book as opposed to a history simulation. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's just say uh, it, it, this is a go. Uh, sorry, Jesse, were you going to say something? No, no. I was I, just, yeah, yeah, go ahead, Jess. Well, I was just going to. I wanted to get uh, go back to the uh, the the fiddly rules and sort of please provide clarifications but if there's something else you want to say in that what you were discussing that's no fine. I, I i do want to wrap this up because we're running low on time so i'm going to give you the final word jesse oh okay well um uh, I, I was just going to discuss the uh, the 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 other rules like um the protection with forts and squadrons like we had a question about does a does a fort or squadron protect other forts and squadrons markets only right it's markets only that's right but it was hard to find some of these answers simply. Um, and the, the question of major and minor actions, uh, when does it cost something uh, to... I mean, I know the answer to this now, but it was hard to find the answer. Um, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I had to the, go the to idea, BTG rules a lot. I, had, I went through the forum. I read every single rules post in that forum to, ba- to sort of test myself. The basic idea is that if you're going to split your actions, like if you have four points to spend as a, a diplomatic action, if you, if you spend... I sort of gave the answer there, but the question is: when you, if you spread your points th- over different regions, you have to suffer uh, a, a point penalty. But the question is: not when does you, that not, not occur? In mili- not in military, but yes, in the other areas. Yes. Oh, it's not in military. It's not in military. Military. Uh, actually, military can spend anywhere. We're so, all learning stuff today. I know. There's still, there's look, still little rules. There's uh, still little. Uh, look, I don't want to get. Yeah, I think we've already kind of covered the the fact that there are there is some fiddliness in this and there is some and there's some complication and that there are some errata that are unfortunate but are going to need to you have be to out want there to learn so. this game it's work but it's not incredible amount of work i mean i, I read the rule book twice and was 80 percent 80 percent able to play the game with with a few things that i had to that i had to figure out so it's not it, it's not impossible um I, I, it's to me the juice is worth the squeeze. It is worth. Oh yeah, hundred percent. The There's so much yeah, juice here, effort. and and but a lot of squeeze. I I I will go farther than Tom and say I will warn off anyone to really check this out. If you love Twilight Struggle, don't just buy this because you, you this might sit on your shelf forever. Really, it, this is and maybe it's just me. I think this is wildly more complicated than Twilight Struggle. And I think for yeah, me, was, yeah. And and I think that if you love Twilight Struggle. You're, you're probably you're already halfway to understanding this game. The other half is going to be more work than you expect. But it, but you are you if you if you're a hardcore Twilight Struggle player, 
you're ready for this. You're ready. I couldn't agree with you more, though, that the juice is worth the squeeze here. Yeah. This is I'm, I'm going to call it right now. The, the, I, I'd be shocked if something uh, beats this as my game of the year. Shocked. Yeah. This is my barrage from, you know, of this year. And, That's and, how and, I feel. This is last and year's I like barrage. this a lot more. I like this a lot more than barrage, actually. A lot more. Yeah, I do, too. Yeah, but Although, also like I will say that if I'm gonna, games is a lot rarer for me than right, right. anything else. But I will say Barrage might be a little easier to go put this on the table. We'll get this done tonight. Sure. Well, this is also so, a two player game. So you're not going to be playing it at a game night. This is this is a right. this is a destination event. Right. This is a you have to have the right person at the right yeah. time. And, and I think choose two to do people it. who who have played this many times together will be lucky to get this done in three hours. Yeah. Uh, and let's also say that that Vassal, we have not, never really talked about Vassal here. Vassal is a way to play this game online. One of the great things about it is that you can play a round, you can play a, a, a turn, and then you can save your game and you can come back and play it the, you know, in a couple days. Or You can or also do play ready. by email or record all of your moves and then you send that file to your opponent and they can see what you just did and you can pick up from there. And the, I, I, and the implementation on Vassal is fantastic. Yeah, it's great. I will say I even can't count your flags. Out. What are we saying, Jesse? I can't wait till the app, the proper app for this comes out. Well, we don't. We we have no idea. It totally depends on sales. Playdeck has not set has not even started considering it. So I'm, we're I'm, years out, even at best. I'm putting it out there. <laughs> no, the designer discussed it. He said Playdeck has no plans to do this, but yes. if it's a massive success like Twilight Struggle, I'm sure they'll think about it. Make the app. Years away, <laughs> years away. At Stop best, it. start Stop tomorrow. Play, you're play years it. Away. Play it tomorrow on Vassal. Go out. Go forth. If this go if this sounds now. if this sounds interesting to you, jump out and 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 get it. This is this is something this tru- truly special. Most P five hundred pre orders in GMT history, I believe. That's true. Did Did anybody listen to our review of Barrage and go? All right, I'll go get this game. They talks. So, they gushed about it so much. Did anybody go get that game, then play it, and then go? No, they were wrong. No, probably uh, maybe in terms of happen. the quality of the components, but uh, I think most people no, no, we, we we acknowledge that, but probably. we gushed about the game, yeah, and yeah. I don't think we disappointed anybody who actually went out and and bought yeah. the game and played this it. This is more niche I than hope. that, I think. But yeah, I, I, what I what I've noticed about our our audiences is, is that they're they're varied, and the, and people there's always somebody that has a contrary opinion about virtually any game that we recommend. Yeah, I I, sure I, I, I think that's approach. I think that's great, but yes, I think your your, your point is made. So um, segueing into our, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the guest feature, which we're discussing weight. Yes, sir. Um, if I'm allowed to do so, am I allowed to segue? You're absolutely allowed <laughs> just to segue. Did. Um, uh, it did happen. I, so, I just want to, uh, can, I, guys, can I start off in, yeah. by saying that I am currently six pounds down from the oh, previous geez. weight uh, loss yeah. challenge. The previous weight <laughs> loss challenge, which I successfully completed, I'm six more pounds down during quarantine. I'm super happy. Good for you. <laughs> I Jesse, take it away. Those to me. It's the first time I feel like I've gained five pounds. <laughs> but I see it. It's weird. It's weird. Um, but uh, what, what, what weight would you give this game? Well, of course, that's a tricky thing, right? Because a, when we... No, t- it's not. This is a solid 4.0. Done. Move no, on. No, is wow. it, the problem is this. The problem is, is that when we say weight, we mean multiple things, right? There is the teach weight. And then there is the there, then there is the complexity weight of of playing optimally, right? So, for instance, using Twilight Struggle, I think Twilight Struggle is is a much lower weight game in terms of learning how to play. 
I think it may be a higher weight game in terms of playing it well and in terms That's of the depth. depth. Correct. The depth of the game. Correct. Like chess. Yes. Chess now, I don't know I, because I think this go. game is tremendous. I think Imperial Struggle is tremendously deep just in a different way. The depth of, of Twilight Struggle is the hundred and so many cards and and keeping them in your mind and learning how to play them. The, the depth here, the depth of play here is juggling these five different aspects that you have to keep in your mind and keep weighing independently as you go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this has more complex rules than Twilight Struggle. So this sort of the weight is heavier and and complexity in that sense, but they both have a lot of depth. And so they both sort of score high in the, in the weight there. Yeah. That's it. And this one has more fiddliness. I say 4.2 for me. Mm. What do you say? What do you say for your, for your gut right now? Oh man, four point two. You went four point two. Yeah, I, I, I was yeah. gonna. I feel like it's like a three point five to eight, three point six. BGG has it at three point eight. I, I think for I think four point two, but but for me, depth is the most important thing, and I think that this game is going to as the more we play it, is going to have a tremendous amount of depth, and to play it well, it is it is a real. They play every round is a this thing. for five years. Every round is a think. Every single action you take is a huge. Take a deep breath. Draw, you rich. know, you know, pull it's your. It's a pain. rich think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. So that's that's why I put it. I put it high. I don't mean that in in to scare people away. I mean that in terms of oh my goodness, there is so much here once you get into it. Yeah. You know, part of the reason I really want to see the app. Well, I I I love playing Twilight Struggle. I've only played the actual physical board game of Twilight Struggle. I think once. <laughs> Maybe really? twice. I've played it. No, I've, I've played t- it with you at least twice. No, 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 no. The physical board game. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've, I've played the app. We have not yeah. played that game twice together. I played it at least I, once. Once at Strategicon. Face to face. But I love. I like taking my time. And this is one of those things. I don't. Want, I don't want to sit there and be. I don't. <laughs> I want to think about my turns. And when I can do that, when I have the app, <laughs> I I can do it when you're doing the board game. And I want to give Tom the space. To me, it is so fun to take your time and if this is a war how am i going to solve this is a puzzle i want to figure this out and i don't want to feel pressured to take my turn and and in these first few games i've just oh, been, we're aware I've been of that doing, jesse i haven't been taking a lot of time i'm just trying to just move <laughs> forward but i i i'd love to take the time to think about it and there's so this is a rich puzzle and it just tickles the mind to think about what if you do this what if you do that totally but, totally so is that a problem that on Board Game Geek, when we talk about weight, we mean two different things? We mean both the the depth of the game, and we also mean the difficulty to teach the game, which can be very difficult. I mean, for instance, um, I think that Santiago is one of those games that incredibly easy to teach, incredibly deep in terms of play. Uh, Friedrich, even more so. Friedrich, the rules of the Friedrich are on a playing card. And yet, the depth of that game the, is is incredible. So, should there be a separate metric for weight and depth, or is that just going to be lost on people? Again, I, I think of it as complexity uh-huh. um, and depth, but I also think, uh, like right next to complexity, you have to consider fiddliness. Uh-huh. And fiddliness, to me, is a couple different things. It's the it's it's the rules where there's a lot of exceptions. Like you can have complex rules. There could be a lot of rules, and there's complexity. But fiddliness is where there's a lot of exceptions. And also, that's also like game, like board game management. Like if you have to do a lot of things to manage the board. Yeah. And, yeah. and online, look, we're going to drop that level a little bit because sure. that's going to manage a lot of it for you. Sure. Um, but, uh, but there's also time to play. 
that's a factor because some games could be complex but not be that long. Um, the fact that something requires a long span of time, um, that that inherently is more complex and weightier, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, is there anything worse than a game that takes eight hours to play but its complexity is very low? <laughs> <laughs> The, Just play shoots and ladders um, for hours. Well, that, ricochet robots. Ricochet robots is yeah, ten that, that seconds. That does take hours to figure out. <laughs> um, actually, the very first game that I that I recommended on this podcast, on the very first episode of this podcast, I talked about Warlord. Warlord is actually a fairly simple game, and it takes a long, long yeah, yeah. time to play. But I, yeah. I, I gotta, lo- I gotta tell you, I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So. Um, how do we navigate weight when we talk about playing with different groups of people? This is well, it's something hard to just... talk about weight without talking about gatekeeping a little bit too, right? Yes, exactly. I think that I think what I'm talking about is exactly that, right? And and yeah. where where is where is it gatekeeping and where is it simply knowing your audience, right? How do you figure well, this out? Jennifer made an interesting uh point to me she i don't know if she stuck to this at all but at last strategic on she told to me that she had made a promise to herself to not buy any more games with a weight less of 3.0 yeah. purely because she felt like they just weren't worth her time and money anymore and that she had had bought too many 2.5 weight euros she was specifically talking about euros oh okay but, just... you know 2.0 2.5 weight euros that she just, you know, played once and never played again. And she, you know, she, she, she had said that she didn't believe in buying anything under 3.0 for euros. I mean, I, I kind of follow that. I can't remember. I, I, I definitely look at, when I see a new euro, I look at the weight. And if it's under 3.0, my interest drops considerably. I mean, I, I think Jaws might be the last game I bought that is lower than 3.0. Lower than a, than a 0.5? Um... I'm not sure. <laughs> what about the crew? Uh, yeah, no, the crew is the crew as well. But you know, those are the exceptions, right? Throw, and, throw and, a burrito. And they're specifically. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy that, but my brother, my brother bought that, and boy, oh boy, is that thing fun. Um, I bought it, it, it. You have to be. It, it takes a, you. You you need to play it. It's amazing. It's no, it's. I bought, I bought it. it. I bought it. You did. Yeah, yeah. I play with my kids. My kids love throwing burritos at me. It's amazing, isn't it? And those things are so soft, and yet they still. Jesse. I love throwing burritos at you. <laughs> <laughs> you should throw more burritos at me. Actually, I will. I want to point out something. Uh, since we're talking about throw throw burrito, um, I, I want to say my youngest child Dash was kind of frustrated, and he he wanted to quit in that game because whenever the war was called, it took him a second to figure out if he was involved in the war, and by that yeah. time he was he was hit, oh. and he didn't want to play anymore. And um and then I and and then I was like, hey, well you know let's talk about it. And he goes, I just feel like you should get hit twice. And everyone was like. No, 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 no. And then I was like, no, let's try that. Let's, uh, what happens if you have to get a hit twice? Because there's two burritos out there, and, right. and you get a burrito thrown at you, and you can throw it back. And, and all of a sudden, the game was a little more balanced in a way, because maybe somebody can get a quicker shot. But now that he knew he was in the battle, right. even if he had a hit point against him, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, could now, he could fight back, and he could win, and he did. <laughs> and right. so anyway, you're a interesting good little dad. house you, rule. You're a good dad. You figured out a way to, to, to incorporate an, a new rule to balance the game properly for your audience. That's awesome. And you're probably going to be playing with you know, your, your kids. And if you have young kids like that, then you may need that little house rule. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, uh, here's my thoughts on weight. I, I, I'm kind of 
I'm, I, I look at it as like the pizza theory. Like there, there are very few bad pizzas. And that's how, sort of how I feel about board games. Like <laughs> I enjoy board games. Like, do I like good pizza and good board games more? Yes. If I have it, do I make sure that I, that's what I'm eating or that's what I'm, you know, but, but like I, I lower weight games are fine if they're, if, if they're well designed and they're fun. Yeah. I much prefer a higher weight game, but it's not some form of snobbery. It's just that I like when my brain burns. I like feeling that stress of, this is wildly complicated, and I, I like I like my brain to be overheated. That is yeah. a, a an enjoyable experience to me, so much as people who like to be scared or people who like you know adrenaline junkies. Like that is that is I like to be exhausted. I want to fall asleep after I play a board game because my brain hurts so much. I that's I like that pain. Yeah, it's like that. I don't like hot sauce. That's my hot sauce. That's and, that's yeah. my like. I I like how this burns, and I have to continually remind myself. That not everybody likes that. And matter of fact, for some right. people, for some people, brain burning is the last thing they want to do. And it's not just people, yep. but sometimes people at a particular time. What you said about Rachel, it's like a mom with two kids under the age of three is not going to it's want rude to ask them to use their brain. After <laughs> brain brain burn, brain burn is something that is happening 20 of the 24 hours of the day. Right. And so I don't need it. I don't, I don't need it now. Yeah. Right, well, maybe, maybe it, later. It's interesting. So I, I, I told you I played this with, uh, with my girlfriend, who's mm. French. Yes. And, you know, she can play the French role. I think we might actually be playing later today. Uh, she's indicated. Fine. But you have a was, French girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> Good for you, Jesse. Fine. Ooh la la. Uh, but she has said... I like Alex more than Jesse, for the record. Hey, I, that's totally fair. Ditto. I do, too. <laughs> um uh, is that is Alex, hit, is Alex available to play Twilight? Uh, in, uh, yeah. Can she go and struggle with me? I'll, I'll ask her. What? The point is, um, <laughs> she has said that she doesn't like playing. Uh, I told her we're going to be doing this 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 feature on on weight and 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 how do we get our spouses to play these heavier games with us? Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, you know, sometimes she doesn't like to play those heavier games. Because, she just says they're just not. She goes, it's not fun sometimes when we're. When she'll say like sometimes she's saying with me, but she's talking about she said with other people, but she like sometimes it's not fun to play with you. Um, and I go, why is it because we like agree, agree. Uh, I get frustrated like when I'm trying to explain the rules and you're talking about something else, you're not you're not focused on that sense. And she goes, no, it's like you know sometimes I want to make a joke, but I feel like you know I can't. And I go, well, did you hear me and Tom playing the other night? We were joking and. And then she goes, yeah, but I don't know, maybe you know, I, I think maybe sometimes when she's making a joke, it has nothing to do with the game. And so like me and Tom might needle each other. And go, oh, you need a little backseat there, huh? But what the point is, we're focused on the game. And yes. she's like, yeah, that's what it is. She goes, I think yeah. that it's so intense that when you guys are playing the game, and I go, when you say intense, do you mean like we're like, I don't know, like I'm mad, I'm mad and I'm just like, Rrr. and she's like, no, you just, you're just so into the game. You're lost in it. Yeah. Yes. And I go, that's yes. what I'm going. That's and what that's we want. That's a positive that's experience flow. for us. Right. Yeah. And she, yes. and she goes, and I think she feels. Like, I don't know, like that's something that she doesn't want to buy into or something. That's really astute. I, I, I feel like I've heard a similar thing from people who they're like, you guys are like so focused on this game right now, like as a negative. Like, you know, like when I've played like board games with like people who aren't gamers, I've definitely heard that before. Like, like you guys are like really into this game right now. And it's like in my yeah. brain, I'm like, yeah, we're playing yeah. it. Like it's what else slow, am I supposed man. to be doing? Slow, but yeah. I think for a lot of people, it's like, 
it should be considered like what, you know, like a meal. Like we're not just focused on our food. Like we're also talking and, you know, like the yeah. food is just a thing that's happening while we're hanging out. And I think for a lot of people, board games are a thing that should be happening while we're hanging out. Whereas for us specifically, it's the only thing that's happening. Alfred is socializing, this. though. Yeah, no, well, well, sure, but it's all but we do it in between time. This is something yeah. that Alfred's pointed out. He he said that uh, that he has found some good people to game with over there, but he does miss our group, and he says that there is something pretty unique and pretty special about our group. Now we've. We have a lot of uh, of fans and friends out there who listen to our podcast that have their own special group that is unique in that same way. So I'm not saying that we're exclusive, but what I am saying is is that there are a very few people that are able to play a game intensely focused on that game and at the same time still be social, right? Mm-hmm. And for and for him. For Alfred, he's finding that he's only able to have a good social experience if the game is light enough that, like Matt was saying, and, and I think actually like like Jesse, you were pointing out, is one of these games where the game is something that is happening in order to socialize as opposed to the game is the game and socializing happens in it, right? Does that make sense? Sure. I feel like yeah. if we're having a common experience, it's kind of like saying, yes. well, I, I want to watch a TV show with you, but we're not talking. So are we really, you know, hanging out? And I go, yeah, we're sharing in the experience of this, uh, of appreciating this, this, this thing, <laughs> this story, or in this case, a game. Well, so yeah, it's a rich experience. This is honestly, in some ways, this was the, one of the only ways I bonded with like my father was through games. There you that, go. That, that was the richest experiences I feel like we've really had. I don't know if that's sad, uh, but maybe that's amazing, you know? There's no, that's just how some, I mean, look, we have game brains. A lot of us are, that is my preferred form of social interaction, you know? And, and whether, and that's just who I am. That's what I've accepted at this. Like, I would, if you said, would you like to go to a party and mingle? Or would you like <laughs> to get together with that same group of people and play a board game? I would say, I don't want to go to the party and mingle. Can I stay home if that's the only option? <laughs> like I literally yeah. only really enjoy socializing with people in the context of board games. And is that, is that a, a default, a defect in me? Maybe, but I, I'm aware of it. And you know, I'm at least I know that's, that's, I, I don't really enjoy other forms of social. I don't dislike them, but I don't really enjoy them. If I'm being honest with myself. Speaking of uh, weights and uh, complexity and whatnot, I want to say, one of my favorite games with the lowest weight, but I feel like is pretty rich, is Watergate. Is, I, what, what's, Watergate's, what's Watergate's weight? 2.2. Seriously? Yeah. It's not a complex game. It doesn't play like a 2.2. Really? Right. Yeah. But, but you know, it's 8.1 rating on, on BGG, and I, I just love it. I play it. I have played it a bunch of times now, and I, I just I love that game. Interesting. <laughs> For a casual game, I think it's pretty rich. Matty, what, yeah. what do you think your what do you think your lowest weight game is that you love? My lowest weight game that I love, I love Love Letter. Love, I really enjoy the experience of Love Letter. I laugh a lot while I'm playing it. I, I I'll put it in my pocket and bring it out at dinner. Um, you know, if we when people used to go to dinner. <laughs> um, what what is that? I, you know, what, what are you describing? My, 
Uh, so we, it's when you'd leave your home to mm -hmm. imbibe uh, food in the company of people who are not your wife or children. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Um, uh, I'm, I'm happy yeah. to play love letter if you guys ever want to start as like icebreaker kind of thing. But I, I, totally. I, I don't I don't really enjoy it. I don't. Oh, see, I actually really enjoy love letter. I don't know. I I I I, I just I, I I have fun playing it. But right. it's you know. And you win sometimes. That's why I love it. The only, I only play games to win. If I, we've learned anything about me on this podcast, <laughs> uh, but Tichu is ranked as a weight of two point three four. Oh, that's low. I think. I think right. Tichu's a rough teach. Is, uh, isn't it though? Just the it's, a, it's just teach the teach. is an awful. No, 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 no. The, the, no, I don't. I don't think it's just the. I don't think it's just the teach. I think it is a. I think it is a very complicated game to oh. play well. No, no. I'm sorry. What I mean is, um, one, there's, a, there's a couple like minor rules but to, to teach that that's that's the difficulty uh and the uh -huh. irony is it's called teach you and it's kind of difficult to teach in that sense but once you get past those i don't think there's looking anything up anymore now you're yeah, that's true. getting into the rich gameplay the depth that sort of depth um but yeah it's just those couple rules yeah i guess that's true i guess that's true it, it is one of those things that that there's maddening though when i see 2.34 like what does that does that help anybody if you're getting into the hobby and you see Tichu and it's 2.3, does that give any kind of accurate uh, indication of that game? And, and to me, I don't think so. I don't think it does. Uh, what would you rate it? Three, oh, at least 3.2. Yeah. Mid, mm. Early to mid threes, yeah. I think we should have like a Scoville rating. I think my hot sauce analogy is, is, is kind of perfect. <laughs> I, think, I think it should just be like how exhausted you are afterwards. Like how, how on fire is your brain? Hey, Jesse. Um, Matt thinks his uh, his his uh, analogy is perfect. I, just, <laughs> I do. I just want to I let you know that. First. We should I think be, I absolutely nailed it with hot just, sauce. Some people like spicy food. Would you just mark Some that people down? don't. Some people hate <laughs> spicy food. You know that's okay. We can't. We don't. I don't judge anybody. Oh my goodness! You nailed it. I don't really like spicy food, but I like a spicy board games. Uh, I would. That's I my would, time. So, Bye, I would love to have a so I, would, I would love to have a Scoville rating. My wife's Italian. I can do an Italiano no. accent. I, I don't. Nope. I don't Doesn't give you permission nope. to nope. brutalize. No. Nope. I asked her. She nope. said it was okay. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. We have we have alienated women and the Italians today. So there you go. Good job, guys. Good job, guys. We're almost out of time, so let's jump in and let's do one sommelier just so we can say that we did. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with mama, madame, abu. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far as my fiftieth player of a Gricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. So I'm, and that's why you don't let Tom play France in Imperial Struggle. That, by the way, that's my voice the entire time I'm playing. The France entire yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> Not much better if he chooses England, though. What <laughs> <laughs> shall we, my friends? Shall we continue on with this game? It would seem as though you're you're no longer in. <laughs> oh, Halifax has fallen. Oh dear. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, so, um, since we are three dads, I figured that we would do this particular game, Smalley. It is from Girl Dad. Uh, 
Just listen to the episode, The Next Generation with the Donnelly Family. Great to hear a younger perspective. Thanks, by the way, to everybody that has been, a lot of people have remarked about that particular episode. My, my son and my daughter were, were very heartened to hear how well it went over. We, we had a great time doing it. Um, girl Dad says, I have a two and a half year old daughter and another girl on the way. What are good games to get my kids on the path to this great hobby. I'd also be interested in recommendations by age, maybe in the four to 10 year old range. Can't wait to start up their game brains. Thank you, girl, dad. That's a great question. And I, I think that this particular group of, uh, of, of three dads uh, is, is kind of perfect for this. So sorry, what, what were the age ranges again? Um, well, he has a two and a half year old daughter and a newborn or the daughter on the way, I should say. Um, but he's talking about games under 10. So f- four years old to 10 years old. And what do you got? Well, um, I'll, I'll cover the under threes. Here we go. For my, uh, for my nine month old, I like to play Zerbert. That's where you, um, you lift up her shirt and you make <laughs> fart noises on her stomach and she giggles like crazy. Also, that's also uh, known as a raspberry. I love that. That's a, has a, that has a, a weight of about 2.0, but she seems to be able to understand it. <laughs> Uh, and for my two and a half year old, um, I build a duplex Lego tower and then he picks it up and hits me in the head with it. <laughs> that has a weight of however high the tower is and um, it hurts. Yeah, I think, I think he's babies, not ready for any games. I think baby's first board game is right around four and five. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm not there yet. But 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 I'm already looking at Haba games. I would recommend you look at, you know, Rhino Hero, things like that. Yes. Probably three or four. Yes, 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 oh, yes. I think that Finn's first game, oh my goodness, wait. Diplomacy. It might have been chess, actually. <laughs> Honestly, because we were at um, like, a, like a cafe, and mm. there's a chessboard there, right. and I started moving some pieces around, and I, I kind of told him how to move pieces around and gave him some rules, and he, I mean, he just grokked it, like, immediately. Wow. And now he was, like, Six, five or six uh-huh, uh-huh. at this point. Um, and then he just, he became obsessed with it. And I was like, oh, this is definitely my child. <laughs> um, I can't game remember brain. any games before then, but I kept waiting. I was like, man, I can't wait till I can play games with them. And then, you know, that came out. But otherwise I would say like, you know, Ticket to Ride was something. And they also have a Ticket to Ride Junior, I think. Yes, they do. Which we never yeah. did, but um, I probably could have got him in earlier if we had. Yeah, that, um, that's a really good gateway game. Um, yeah, good, good choice. Um, for me, oh, cockroach poker, a cockroach, cockroach poker. poker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Teach your kids how to lie as early as possible. <laughs> and play they poker. already do it. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're hungry. They cry. I, they're I just do, manipulating I you. I don't, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that one to, to the young ones, but, uh, oh, it is simple. It is simple. Um, for me, so yeah, so I already had a board game collection when I started having, uh, uh, kids and I wanted to get them into it, so um, I've I bought a lot of kids' games in, in the hopes of getting them out. Here's what worked: uh, I think Gulo Gulo is a great Haba game. That's the first game you get them. Haba, it's it's a super simple game. The way it works is it it is, there's a wooden bowl. And there are all these wooden eggs of painted different colors in them. And then there's this uh, one sort of egg with a stick that sticks straight up. You put the egg with the stick straight up in the, in the bottom of the bowl, and you pour the eggs around it so that it stands up straight. Then each person has their little gulo, which are um, hedgehogs, I think, uh, I think is what they Wait, are. How do you spell this, by the way? I'm trying to look it up. G-U-L-O, G-U-L-O, two separate words. Gulo, oh, okay. gulo. Gulo, gulo. Yeah, oh, like uh, gulo, gulo. 
Yeah, it's a hedgehog. <laughs> hedgehog. Um, and there's a path, and the path has different colors of each. Each hex has different colors, and you lay the path out. Your objective is to get your gulo all the way to the end of the path, right? And the the eggs are your are your babies, right? So you're trying to protect your babies. So when you go to a particular color spot, you have to pull an egg of that color out of the bowl. But if you pull an egg out of the bowl and that stick falls, guess what? You have a penalty and you have to go back and then you refill the bowl and you start over again, right? The great thing about this, first of all, is that it's very Candyland, so it's just color identification. You know, it's for, for first games, learning to, it's amazing what you have to learn when you're a kid. You have to learn to be able to wait your turn. You have to learn to move, to pick up your piece and move it. You have to learn that when you move your piece to this color, you can't move any further. You have to stop here, and then you have to go and pick out an, an egg of that type, right? The fun thing about the game is that it's a dexterity game that involves grabbing very small, round, smooth eggs. So your big, huge, meaty man hands are horrible at this, and the kids with their tiny little fingers are great at it. So it has a self-balancing aspect. <laughs> the game is really designed to be harder for adults than it is for kids, and they love that. They find that to be a really great thing. And it looks like it's only $95 on Amazon. Oh, shoot. Well, you know, it's, it's, out, a, out of it's, print. A, it's a Haba game. It's a, it's, it's a, those titles are, are, kind of, are kind of tough. Yeah. I would say the first card game to get for kids is a great little card game called Rat-A-Tat Cat. Rat-A-Tat Cat. Highly recommend it. Uh, what I if Tom's just making all these up? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a little bit like it, right? Gula Rat-A-Tat Cat. I was uh, just like... And then I'm gonna I'm, just, I'm gonna give you two more cha cha chicken just sundowning right in front of us. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> cha cha chicken <laughs> is a is a pretty good is a pretty good game. I would say it's a great restaurant in H6, Santa Monica. Six, it is actually uh, in the original one over on uh, Virgil. Venice, yeah. Oh yeah, Virgil. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Very good. Cha Cha Chicken is is a is a good game for probably six and up, and then once you get into oh, the yeah. six and up, there's a, a there's a game called Chateau Roquefort. Chateau Roquefort is the masterpiece of kids' games. Essentially, what it is is you are mice and you are scrambling over the rooftops of chateaus in of a chateau in Paris, and you want to steal the cheese. And it's a very mm-hmm. interesting thing. The box itself is the game board because there are these tiles and you're pulling off the roof tiles and only when you pull off the roof tiles do you see what's underneath the roof. Like, oh, there's the cheese over there. But in order to get over the cheese, you have to step onto other squares and those squares can sometimes be moved. And when they move, you can fall down into the trap. You can fall, you can sort of be trapped by them. The pieces, the little mice are gorgeous. It's actually worker placement because you only start off with two or three mice, but you could have up to six mice if you do other things to release more. So it fits very much in a lot of game design. You know, it teaches you a lot of things about playing more adult games, but it's a really, really adorable, adorable uh, production value, and it plays very, very well. It's a, it's a lot of fun. There is nothing better than me purposely putting my mouse into danger and my son and daughter both realizing at the same time that if we both do A and B that daddy's mouse daddy's last mouse is going to fall into the trap and oh my goodness there's nothing there's nothing better than that right. kids and you could probably fit this game in your wallet because you just spent $100 on Amazon buying it 
Look, I'm not talking about price here. I'm talking about what the best games are, okay? I'm trying to talk about what is great out there. I'm just pointing it out. Uh, In the Next Generation episode, we also mentioned 10 Days. These are the Alan Moon games that are about geography. Uh, You can start playing those fairly early on, uh, you know, seven or eight, probably maybe even six. You can start playing 10 Days. They're great games. Oh, it's like 10 Days in America, 10 Days in Asia? 10 Days in the USA, 10 Days in Asia, 10 Days in Europe, 10 Days in Africa. They're all fantastic. Start off with the USA. Your kids will know geography better than kids 10 years older than them. And, and once they start to get tired of that, move them on to, to any of the other 10 days, and they're going to know the world before they ever go out and experience it. It's um, a good idea. King Domino is also pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's like a good that. one. Yeah. I think that's a great game. And let's mention Throw Throw Burrito. Throw Throw Burrito is a really fun game i think how old would you say your, your kids are right around that age right six, now six and nine so and and for for dash he was starting to have a little trouble with it so maybe for the six-year-old it's right on the edge of playability he liked it he, he i mean he once he was in and he, you know okay. you know when you do the duels and stuff once once he knew that if you say war yes then this is on yes then he's in the game you know he likes throwing things <laughs> he likes playing tag and okay like, so maybe five or five or six you can do that yeah oh Guys, um, also, my, by the way, my kids also liked uh, my Dash loves video games, not as much board games, uh-huh. but he really liked lanterns. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So, 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 so the pattern tiling pattern game that, that makes sense. I can I can get yeah. behind that. Guys, this was a great episode. Um, we're we're running a little long, but uh, yeah. it was fantastic. Um, it was a pleasure I, talking board games with you guys. We should do this again sometime. Yeah. yeah, I think we did it. I think we nailed it. Let's never do this again, Maddie. <laughs> Maddie, I think you should. You know, you should. I think you might have a future in you know podcasting, podcasting? about board games at some point. You should really uh, consider it. One and done, baby. <laughs> uh, we have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We have a Facebook group and a Discord channel. And please get in more of those board game sommelier questions. We've been getting great sommelier questions, but we, we try to do one an episode, so we run out still fairly quickly. And uh, you've been listening to Game Brain. Produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. That's where you send your Game Brain requests or your, your sommeliers. And on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening. And go play some games with friends online. Or virtually make some friends with games. And then you guys.